tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. Hi, this is Steven from Geek Elite Media, and I want to tell you about Cuts by Candice, a hairstylist that will work with you to get just the right look. After growing my hair out for years and years, Candice was the only stylist I trusted to cut my luscious locks. Mention our promo code GEEKOUT when making your appointment through the end of April 2019, and you'll get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candice on Facebook and Cuts by Candice 3 on Instagram, and start looking the best you, you can. What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds where it's the same year and you're the same person, but everything else is different? And what if you can't find your way home? Welcome back for another issue of Imagine If, a very special issue. Isn't that right, Chris and Rafa? It's, I mean, I have all of this energy inside my body, and that's just from the fact that we get to talk about arguably the greatest detective who has ever lived, besides Sherlock Holmes, of course. Yeah, we're going to be celebrating another milestone from Detective Comics, Detective Comics proper, issue 1,000. So, yeah, this is the big one. 1,000 years. <laughs> That's how it works, right? A thousand years of Batman. We that old. So now, and we are here at, uh, once again, FanQuest Comics and Games in Yuma, Arizona, celebrating, a, doing a roundtable discussion with uh, a lot of comic book fans and um, uh, readers, and we're definitely going to hear to talk about Detective Comics and Batman in particular. Like, not just the issue, 1,000, but... Batman throughout the years. Because, I mean, Batman is one of those quintessential characters, quintessential stories that have made an impact on not just us as people, but also the community. And so what better way to give back and talk about these issues or these amazing moments than coming together here at FanQuest and really hashing them out and sharing our favorite moments. You know, one of the great things about Batman in particular is that Batman is a work of art. Anytime you look at any of these covers from any of the decades, it is just smashing. It is just mind-blowing. His covers, his persona um, leads to some uh, Im- incredible images, ones that imprint on the mind and never go away. And I think that's true of the latest uh, Batman Detective Comics. Yeah, I mean, so many artists, like, it's when they get into the field, like when they make it professional, that's fantastic. But I think a lot of them strive to definitely draw Batman. And to see, as Detective Comics, I believe we said there was 11, 11 variant covers, and there's even more out there as well, certain you know specialty shops and stuff like that. But, I mean, there was some really good talent that was brought out here. So before we get officially started, let's go ahead and go around the table and uh, introduce everybody. As always, I'm Mitch, one of the hosts of uh, Imagine If. That's Chris, another one of the hosts of Imagine If. I'm Sam. I'm just sitting in, listening, and educating myself. And a one-time guest of Imagine If. I'm Rafa, new guest star of Imagine If. And my name's Juan. I'm just a small Batman fan. <laughs> uh, Mike, a repeat guest and very long-time comic fan. That's right. Both, both Juan and Mike have been on our roundtables before, and we appreciate you coming back again. So Always fun. <laughs> one, well, as you were saying, there were 11 copies, or 11 variant covers, official variant covers for... Uh, Batman or Detective One Thousand this this time around, uh, one for each decade that Batman's been around, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So we had uh, 
So actually, luckily, the good news is if you buy this inside the front cover, they'll tell you. So you had a 1930s one since Batman made his first appearance in 1939. So Steve the Dude Rude did that cover. Uh, 1940s, you have Bruce Tim, famous for Batman the Animated Series. 1950s comes by Michael Cho. 1960s, Jim Steranico. And this guy, Jim Steranico, man, big time Marvel artist. A lot of the uh, just hippie, trippy, influential Nick Fury covers. 1970s, we actually get a duel of Barney Wrightson and Alex Sinclair. 1980s, Frank Miller gets some help with Alex Sinclair, and they bring back the uh, the Dark Knight Returns. 1990s, we get Tim Sell and Brennan Wagner, and then Tim Sell, you'll recognize him for his uh, amazing team-ups with Jeff Lowe. Then the 2000s variant by Jock, and then the 2010s variant by Grave Capullo with FCO Palencia. And then those were just the official ones brought out by DC Comics themselves. And then we also have the regular cover, which was by Jim Lee. And then you had uh, various different comic book stores with their own variant covers and uh, things like that. Uh, Did anybody have a particular favorite variant cover? Well, one one, uh, favorite cover I have, and I I got a few of them a couple of days ago, is the uh, one that brings out all the old school Batman Issues. I don't recall it. I think like Batman of a Thousand Faces or something like that. I don't recall the name of the cover. Maybe one of us has uh, one of that and we can recite it. But it presents the Batman on, on all of their images from the 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was which are the ones I'm most familiar with. Although also 70s, 80s, and 90s. <laughs> so, but it's but it's really a beautiful cover and it's a really great tribute to the. I'll say the the dominant Batman images. I think most people are familiar with. Yeah, I think that might be the the, the Michael Cho one because yeah, it didn't have like Zebra Batman on there and all his outlandish costumes. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the '50s one, and that was neat because it's funny because nowadays we do live in an era with action figures, you know. So you think they'd really be milking it and doing all those types of covers, but yeah, Batman of the '50s. Oh man. I mean, that's why Adam West had shark repellent because they were just making <laughs> so much bad stuff of that era. Yeah, I, I miss the old utility belt stuff. I mean, Batman Dark Knight just has nothing in his utility belt. I don't yeah. even know if he has a belt. That's true. I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Yeah. As far as favorite covers, I'm really, really liking the one that Framey has. What what era is that? So this one is the 1930s, and that's the one by Steve <laughs> Rude. It's the one really where he, it's depicting uh, Batman fighting the Klan? I don't know if they're KKK guys, but definitely, yeah, they're wearing those those white hoodies that are very reminiscent. But I thought they were like a cult. Uh, yeah, they're yeah, definitely. Kind of villain. You yeah, know, they're probably like more of that because I know when Batman first came around, he was. He was fighting, you know, like he did fight some gangsters, but he would. He'd always be fighting these, you know, guys that were like, let's kidnap this woman, take her to the one of the few castles that's in Gotham City and try to sacrifice her. <laughs> And be like, no, I'm not allowing that crap, you know. (laughs) Yeah, him and his purple gloves, dude. (laughs) And also the new 52 one, uh, the 2010s that you have, Mitch, that one also looks very nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. That's uh, I ended up uh, picking that one up. That, I, I also like the Jim Lee one. I like the, the default, quote-unquote. Yeah, the Jim Lee one looks good. My only thing is... I like the wraparound. I like the wraparound. That's definitely great. And I like how Batman has Joker like in a chokehold. But besides that, it's kind of like there are some of the Bat family here, and there's no Tim, and there's no Jason. No. And that hurts. <laughs> but we got Dick and Damien, so... But would they really want to be there? 
I'd like to think so. I think Tim for sure. Jason, who knows? Well, even Jason just brooding in the background doing something. Polishing his gun. (laughs) One thing for sure, though, when I open it up, a moment of clarity, a moment of just pure bliss washes over me. When I look where it says right there, Batman created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. Like that, that feels great just seeing that, especially seeing the the documentary last year. Oh, yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, I will say I do love that because I know we've always had, you know, Siegel and Shusher for Superman, which is fantastic. And I want to say I think it's been now like three years where we've finally started to see with Bill Finger. But I love the addition of that bat. I think that's great. And I hope we see that more often. I hope that becomes the gold standard that will always be there to recognize the two creators. Let's uh, go ahead and talk about that. And then let's talk about uh, Detective 26. Detective 27. 27. Yeah. So Detective Comics 27. Um, I want to say February, if I remember correctly, February of 1939. You know, for 10 whole whopping cents, you could get the new, newest issue of Detective featuring the, the brand new adventures of the Smash character. Yeah, I would soak up Delta. that minimum wage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so you have uh, um, Bob Kane creating a, a new character, but... What's the what's the deal with with Bill Finger? So actually, well, it's kind of funny. So luckily, June of nineteen thirty-eight, you know, Action Comics comes out. This is you know, comic books coming out from national publications at the time because they weren't DC Comics yet. And just with the success of Superman, it was just a smorgasbord. People wanted heroes. They wanted these these caped crusaders and all of it um, because we had the adventures of detectives and and Nazi, you know, spiring bashers and all this stuff. So uh, a young Bob Kane is actually at the, the, the National Periodical's office and they're talking and, you know, they're kind of like, hey, kid, make us a superhero. And he goes home that weekend and he draws this man in a brown and red suit with these giant wings, blonde hair, exposed, you know, and all this stuff. And... It sucks. Like it is just not <laughs> the coolest looking thing. And finally, they, 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 you know, and I think another artist recommend, hey, why don't you go talk to Bill Finger? And Bill Finger has been one of the one of the great writers of DC Comics. He's constantly putting out stories. He's helping to create stuff. And <clears throat> luckily, Bob Kane goes to him and he's like, hey, you know, what do you think? And and that's when Bill Finger is just like, I like the idea of the wings, but maybe it should be more like a cape. That way he can he can open it up, but it's not so stiff. Um, you know, you want to give the guy a better mask. You know, he doesn't look scary. So he recommends the cowl, you know, changing the colors instead of it being brown and red. You know, let's look at the blacks and the grays and the purples and stuff like that, darker tones. And, and he does. He gives so much more later on as they write it and those two put together the first story they package it up and they sell it to dc comics and another thing just to remind that's where we also get jim gordon's first appearance as well i have to say this is the first time i've ever heard of this bill finger oh, no kidding. <laughs> like never have i heard of him before right now so wow so, so just so we anyone even, we, we all have something to learn and i've, I've just learned that yeah, i feel the same way i'm like Bill who? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a there's a great, great documentary, Hulu documentary yeah. Yeah. right? <laughs> well, well, I have, have to look it up. Yeah, no, it, it was uh, Batman and Bill, and it was a documentary that was put out there uh, on Hulu, and it actually spins out of a book that was called uh, Bill the Boy Wonder, and so I forget the the gentleman's name, the guy who wrote the book and led to the documentary, but he started doing research because, and we've we've heard about it. There's actually the Bill Finger Award 
that was given out, you know, for comic comic like amazingness. Uh, there was even the campaign that started like right around Batman '89, and there was this campaign that said, "Give Batman the finger," you know. You know, and, and it was just a lot of the insiders knew the story, they knew about it, and I mean, to to hear about what Bill Finger gave Batman and even others, because Bill Finger he's also the co-creator of the Alan Scott Green Lantern. Uh, him and Martin O'Dell, they cooked up that one. Um, obviously, all the, the legion of villains that they've created for Batman and just all the other works that he's done. He's just an amazing guy, but it was such a sad story because, you know, he just comes in, does his job, and, you know, we've seen it. You've either you've been that worker or you've had that coworker where they just do so much, and at the end of the day, it's like, all right, see you tomorrow. You know, there's no flamboyancy and whatnot. And Bob Kane... He really did screw him over. I mean, obviously, this is all secondhand news and, and hearsay from other folks, and obviously, you know, none of us were there. Um, but it was that Bill was, or sorry, Bob Kane was the one who went to, to National, and he's like, "Here's what we got." He packaged it and he took care of the deal, and it's like, "Oh, don't worry, I'll take care of, I'll take care of Bill." And he really didn't. And he, there's wow. even documentaries out there towards the end of Bob Kane's life where he's like, "I really wish I had done more," because. Well, well what happened to Bill Finger? And then we. we, we we know about Bob Kane's career as the decades went on, but did Bill Finger do anything else, or so did, he, he, did he die, uh, you know, in his sleep in a hovel, or what happened to him? You're, you're pretty head on. Yeah, um, you're pretty close. Yeah, he just he wound up, you know, working for DC Comics, writing, you know, just writing and writing and writing. I think at one point he was also a shoe salesman as well. Like wow. he just wasn't getting paid, so he's doing both jobs. Um, he really didn't have family. Because even then, when they that when they find his surviving bloodline, it comes down to being like I think it was his, like his great niece or it, something like his, that. I think it's a, I think it's closer to like a great granddaughter, but that's because he he ended up being coming out of the closet and what I'm thinking the right person, right? No, I think that was his son. Oh, his son came out. Of, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And and it, yeah, it was because basically he. And actually, even then, I don't think it was his son. I think it was his nephew. Oh, okay. Because I don't think Bob or Bill Finger, I don't think he ever got married. So it was his sister's Yeah, it was like kid? his sister. And then done the whole family life, had children, but in the end, he just came out as, hey, I'm, this isn't me. This is who I, you know, I'm pretending to be. This isn't the real me. But luckily, the bloodline continued, and it got to a point where, yeah, I think it was his, like, great niece, and then she has her son, and her son would put it out there. He's like, yeah, you know, like, I think it, maybe it was his grandpa or something like that, but he was like, yeah, you know, like, my my you know, relative is the one who created Batman. And of course everybody would laugh. No, you're not related to the Kane family. Shut the hell up. And And then, and then I think it was Kevin Smith that did a lot with, uh, helping get her name out there. He did. Like, I mean, and then again, like the industry has known though for a long time. I mean, it's, it's been since the seventies, but it definitely helps when people speak out. Yeah. Uh, Neil Adams, for example, Neil Adams did a lot. Like when he really started blowing up, he was championing people's rights. Like he helped the seagulls get rediscovered because they put Superman out there. They did a ton of work, but then the fifties and sixties, they kind of got farmed out the late seventies when Superman, the movie was going to come, you know, he championed to get them out there. Unfortunately though, just with Bob finger, you know, he did, he lived like in a one bedroom apartment, you know, very ratty conditions, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, not having anybody in his life. So the loneliness creeps in and, you know, and then just, I can imagine too, it must've been hard to sit there and watch, you know, here's, here's uh, Bob Kane who actually had a nose job because he didn't want people to see his distinct features. And he's like, no, I want to look like I'm Hollywood. And, you know, just kind of feeling that bitterness 
Um, and then to even add more insult, when Batman, the, the 1966 show with Adam West was on, like the producers knew, like they knew Bill Finger and he would occasionally write some TV episodes. He never got to write an episode for that show. And they thought this is horrible. So they actually were trying to get him to write the last episode. Like he wow. would have written the script for what it would have been the last episode, but due to timing and whatnot, it just didn't happen. So he didn't even get to be a part of that. And he had asked them. He was like, "Hey, please throw me a bone." And that's you know, something else. Yeah, yeah, I mean, imagine more of it. He just died of a broken heart, being unrecognized for the many contributions to the entertainment industry, to the arts media's, all of it. One of the and, biggest icons you know, in pop culture there is. Yeah, and he just. Died alone in his apartment. I think, yeah, it was like a couple days later they discovered him, and that was just that. And they needed a better agent. Yeah. That's what it comes. To. <laughs> well, really, they does, needed I mean, a better agent. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the bad thing though is, and this is this is where a lot of it, like, it's going to be real interesting, especially with Sazam coming up. Um, I can't think of the the proper name. I think it's C.C. Beck. He's the man who created Shazam. And you want to talk about somebody getting ripped off horribly? That's the guy. I mean, he creates Captain Marvel. He puts it out there. And if you think about it, I never saw this until years later. So the cover of Action Comics, he's lifting the car, right? Mm -hmm. He's using both hands. Well, on the cover of Wiz Comics number two, Shazam's just flinging a patrol car with one arm. Like, he's <laughs> clearly that much stronger. And, you know, he doesn't have the magic weakness. And, and he's the colorful costume, and the you know, this amazing hero. He inspired Elvis Presley. That's why Elvis wore those jumpsuits with the capes, because he loved Captain Marvel. Wow. And, you know, C.C. Beckett was just like, nope, you need to shut down. You need to stop. Your character's too similar to Superman. Because national periodicals, they had more lawyers. They had more money. So they stopped it. And, you know, it just it got so destroyed. But that's what leads to Miracle Man being created or as first he was known as Marvel Man. So over in the UK and then finally DC got to a point where they managed to get the ownership. But he was another guy like I mean, right now you're on the verge of another movie that's probably going to break a billion dollars or get very close to it. But you can't even call the character Captain Marvel either because Marvel stole the name. And it's like, man, there's another guy that just watched his greatest creation become one of his greatest nightmares. Yeah. It's kind of sad when you watch those, those documentaries. I really recommend Robert Kirkman's History of Comics, uh, that Hulu, uh, Batman and Bill. I recommend watching those. Maybe that's what we should do. We'll do a we'll, we'll do a watch and then we'll talk about it as we go they through. Could, could that. <laughs> That'd be good. So, but to talk about Detective Comics, um, yes. Before there was issue number twenty seven, we had twenty six issues of different detective stories. Yes, that's what the the whole periodical was about. Um, do we have any recognizable characters from those? 26 issues? I, I think Slam Blarity was in there, right? Yes, definitely. Slam was one of the originals, and he was actually created by Jerry Siegel, Drew Shuster. Uh, that was one of their creations. Um, I'd say he was definitely the top one. I can't think of any of the other reoccurring ones because I don't think anybody really did. Um, I know Act, Detective Comics number one, the, the cover with Fu Manchu, I know that will probably never get reprinted again because, <laughs> you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, know. yeah. <laughs> um, but so, I don't, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I also think it's interesting is that uh, we have Detective Comics number 1000, and I don't know if I've ever seen a depiction of Bob Kane's original Batman design with the blonde hair, the brown suit, and stuff like that. Like, I think that would have been interesting for someone to, in the in the issue, just to be like, oh no, I've seen Batman before. He he looks like this, and they're like, no, it doesn't, you know, kind of thing. I know somebody 
kind of in retaliation and more along the lines of give Batman the finger. Uh-huh. They did a, a what if or an Elseworlds, and it's a one panel comic, and they're like, what if Bill K- uh, Bill Kane or sorry Bill Finger didn't help? And you just see him, and, and he is real timid and weak looking. You know, he's he's in this red suit, and everybody's like, what the hell? I'm not scared of you. Uh, so I know people have played with it. I'm sure somewhere along these thousands of issues that there's probably been something. It's something in the background. Know. Uh, okay, so then, as you were saying, or with uh, Slam Brady being uh, one of the main figures in the de- in the comics before that, he shows up in the first story of Detective yes. Comics 1000, which is, uh, what's the title? Anyway, so the longest, case, the longest case by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Uh, let's talk about that story a little bit. Uh, we essentially have Batman talking about this is his longest case he's ever been on. He's gotten clues throughout his whole career for whatever this is supposed to be leading into, and finally it leads him to a... It looks like a vacant apartment in the middle of Gotham City, which is amazing since he's gone all over the world. The, the, the panels before that depicts him going all over the world, different places, different locations, finding different clues, and he ends up back in Gotham City. Then he finds a book. Anybody remember? It's been, yes. It's been a couple of days. I slept a couple of times since I read it. So, yeah, he, he journeys through. I mean, we see all the um, – let's see. You said you got to the book. Was mm-hmm. that the final part? or I think that's the final. He, is, there's a book on the bookcase or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, and he pulls that out towards the... It's, it's on a typewriter, and he pulls a lever. Oh, okay. When he does that, that opens a, a bookshelf. Bookshelf, there corridor. we go. Yeah, and so that's when he sees the assemblage of the... Uh, what did they call it? The Guild of Detectives. The, the Guild, Guild of, of Detectives for Adventure and Wonder, and we have some colorful folks, don't we? Yes, oh, we do. Yes. Who's, in the, who's in the room, Rafa? So we got the Hawks, both Carter and Kendra. We were talking about earlier. Kendra's an interesting choice, but this is Scott Snyder, so we got that. I never know if it's Kendra or Shayer. What's what's the difference in the names? The helmet is the one way you can definitely tell, and then the hair. So uh, because Shiara has the long, flowing red hair, and Kendra usually typically has the short, cropped uh, brunette hair. We've got our favorite detective, Detective Chimp, just hanging out. <laughs> we got John Jones, also known as the Martian Manhunter. We got Ralph and Sue Dibney, and like you just said, that one character, um, Slam Bradley. Um, and the question, and they're all just kind of there, just looking very smug at Batman, taking him on this wild goose hunt, ultimately for him to, as he says in his own words, this was all some kind of elaborate game, a waste of time. <laughs> And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a very interesting way to kick off this this area because, again, Detective Comics, the greatest detective of all time. But more so also, it kind of builds on that idea of, I thought I was reading Court of Owls again, mm-hmm. which makes sense because, you know, kind of the way that um, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo kind of use the art to develop this kind of storytelling where it's small panel by small panel, a lot of background information, and then kind of the reveal. I really liked it because, like, it, like um... What's his name? Like Slam says, it's not about the answers. We're detectives. We want more and more clues. And I think that's a really interesting way of ending it, especially when he grabs the book and he goes, oh. Yeah, what, what does, does anybody have any speculation on what's in that book? Uh, it's Detective Comics Archives Volume 1. Oh, okay. <laughs> DC used to do that, so he's reading those first 26 comics before. I was going to say, like, oh, does, he, does, he see a, does he see a picture of himself in that red suit, that red and brown suit? <laughs> oh, God. What, what, if, what could have what been? If, what if, oh, my God, this is me. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I, I appreciated that one. I liked it because one of the big things, and I know some of us talked about this before, 
Uh, even the book came out. It was like, are they going to recognize the other heroes? Are they going to recognize? Because the thing I've always liked with Marvel comics being called Marvel comics because their heroes are Marvels. They're marvelous. You know, it's just it's such a, a, a flamboyant word. And then you have the other guys, detective comics. <laughs> and I always hoped, you know, I was like, oh, man, it'd be great if, you know, Alex Ross came over and they, they did their own, like, origin of the DC universe and they called detectives. Because at the, every, at the root of it all, they are detectives. I mean, Clark Kent is an investigative reporter. He is a detective. You know, Martian Manhunter, he first appears in detective comics, his very first appearance, like issue 225, I think. You know, so, I mean, every character is pretty much a detective. I mean, Green Lantern, he's a space lawman. He's a space cop. You're a detective, you know. The Flash, you know, he's a CSI guy, you know. So, I mean, they all have that. Uh, Wonder Woman, she was the detective of the Amazons, right? You know? <laughs> she was? <laughs> the lasso of truth, hey! Whenever someone wouldn't pay well, attention, she'd punch really her way through. It didn't belong to her, like, right from the get-go. <laughs> it didn't really belong to her, so... <laughs> uh, they'll change the history. Though. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I liked about this is how to how to screw with somebody with an OCD. An <laughs> interesting way <laughs> to actually do that. That's not, that's not, a, that's not, a, not a bad bad way to look at it. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so this is the guild of detectives that's in the middle of Gotham City, and Batman has not ever de- detected them before. I mean, Rafa, you said it at, at the beginning of this, he's the, the, the world's greatest detective. Is it is it a little uh, unbelievable that he's never he, he never knew about this? Also, he knows like a bunch of these people, and they never kind of. That's true. <laughs> no, no one's ever invited him before. Like, yeah, but you know, they let they let him into the JLA. And what did he do? Tower of Babel. You know? so <laughs> these detectives know they don't want him to be like. Oh, what's you know, our they weakness? Say the best place to hide is in plain sight. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's Constantine. He's just messing with Batman. He just put some. <laughs> he put up some kind of magical barrier <laughs> until Bat- it was time. I think Batman just had better things to do. Uh, you know, he has better villains to fight. I, I, I mean, I I can accept that because they did. They probably laid these clues out years ago. They think, oh, he'll find it quick. We have a party ready for him and stuff like that. He never shows up because he's like, it's not important. I have to go deal with the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So eventually, they're like, literally there like every. Third Thursday of the of the month to be like maybe he'll show up this time and finally he does. Imagine the scenario where they're just not prepared and he just shows up and nobody's there. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this? Joker, <laughs> Scarecrow, they're serious. I yeah, mean, you're that, right. that takes that takes intense time. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. Yeah, hey, they're, they're the ones for that matter. <laughs> so I, I was I was just looking up real quick just to curious out of the what was going on. So actually, two characters and I'm surprised we didn't get to see them. <laughs> So Speed Saunders, um, Speed was actually one of the guys, he kind of assisted with the JSA, and this would probably be way later on reinserting the continuity, but I think he turns out to be the great uncle of Kendra Sanders. Oh, yeah. So for the hot girl, for the hot the girl JSA part. Book. Yeah. And then also another comic book character that beats um, Batman, but not Superman, the Crimson Avenger. He appeared in issue 20 of Detective Comics, so it's kind of surprising, because yeah. he has been recognized. Uh, usually when they try to say, Superman's the first superhero, but we don't want to make him old, so they always kind of default, like, who's next in line? I ah, give it to the Crimson Avenger. So he's always <laughs> been the guy who inspires the heroes. Mm. Uh, okay, so the next story is uh, Manufactured for Use, and that is uh, written by Kevin Smith Surprisingly, and Surprisingly, I forget Kevin Smith writes comic books sometimes. He does. <laughs> he forgets he writes them, too. That is true. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't complete them. <laughs> uh, I, this is... Um, I thought this was a very interesting story. It's a it's an interesting look at 
the mythology and of or so to say dogma of, of Batman. <laughs> uh, the idea that he goes as matches Malone, which is a character that is, I love when they utilize him in, in any Batman story. I agree. Um, as matches Malone goes to the pawn shop that specializes in like Gotham super criminal memorabilia. Yeah. And I'm uh, so in this. Is, <laughs> <laughs> he has, uh, he has the gun that killed the Waynes. Uh, I mean, how do you get that from, uh, uh, the GCPD? I mean, we know GCPD is pretty corrupt. That's why you need a Batman. But that's a pretty big piece of evidence in a bitty, pretty big case in Gotham. Well, that's what happened was Joe Chill pawned the gun to buy bus tickets to get the hell out of Gotham. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> uh, but yes, he, he, he tracks it down, gets it. And the whole time, you're, you're, it's being intercut with all these panels of how the Batman fights off his villains but takes the damage, like constantly takes damage to his chest. And they're looking at that over and over to the point where at the end you, you find out that he's melted down the gun that killed his parents and uses it behind the Batman emblem so that it protects his heart. It protects his body. I don't know how I feel about that story. It seems a little out there, but I, I've always liked the idea of the that he reinforces the bat symbol because that's where people tend to shoot because they right. it's just it's so prominent. Target. It's a yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a bigger target. And he, and he makes it the target too. It's right. You yeah. want them to shoot at it. Yeah, because he's got that sense. exposed face. Yeah. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, but that cowl is made out of like the the strongest metals forged out of apocalypse, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but not his chin. <laughs> True, not his chin. <laughs> well, that's why he grows the stubble. Uh, <laughs> helps. Is it like Chuck Norris ch- stubble? Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> Like uh, Chris and I were talking earlier on our way here, it's that story has the right amount of cheese, right? Yes, it's and the Ke- especially for Kevin Smith, right? And all of those aspects makes it really nice. What I loved about it, because I didn't know until right now, Mitch, when you said that he is taking damage to his chest every single time, right? Over the symbol of the bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I kind of wrote down was the idea of what I like the most about this story. As they're explaining the story, they're using the play on words with exactly what kind of villains he's fighting, right? Mm-hmm. When he's saying, must have broke their poor kid when he's fighting Bane. All that money in the family still got fried by Gotham City when he's taken on Firefly, right? All of these aspects really showcase he has like that big rogues gallery. And I thought those play on words was really clever. And then seeing them always trying to destroy the bat symbol, you know, this is a good way to kind of get past that. Also, little shout out. I loved how when they're talking about Clayface, they talk about the Rogues Remember podcast <laughs> and how Clayface ended up killing them. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, has anybody taken that podcast yet? <laughs> well, I mean, it's Kevin Smith. I'm sure. I mean, he's a big podcaster. I'm sure that that's the, the reason why he threw it in there. That's um, a really good point. And, and, you're, and you're right. The puns. That's also right there in Kevin Smith's wheelhouse. You know, mm-hmm. the writing of, of puns and, and corny dialogue. So And reading through it, the art, God, I forget how much I love Jim Lee. Right? I feel like I'm going back into, like, the unseen pages of Hush. I love every aspect of it. Yeah, this one I this one I would say hands down is definitely my favorite issue or favorite story of it. Really? Um, yeah, I just I thought it was neat. Like I said, it was it was the right amount of cheese. You know, it's it's Kevin Smith. You like Jim Jim Lee's drawing that dude with the man bun? That's what it is, huh? Uh, no, I didn't care for that part. Uh, <laughs> man buns, not. But I, I did like how they snuck onomatopoeia in there. Yeah, I think that was cool. But <coughs> because I like that this story actually goes a little bit more meta. Um, because Sam, you you might know this or maybe remember, but Frank Miller was the first one to give us why the symbol's yellow. 
because exactly that reason. So in The Dark Knight Returns, the big famous 1980s opus and all that stuff, the symbol is yellow because he wants people to shoot him there. That's his target because that's where he purposely hides the metal. Mm-hmm. Now, why is the symbol yellow? Well, because if you tr- you can't trademark a black bat on a gray chest. So when Julius Schwartz comes in and starts editing Batman, he says, hey, we need a trademark logo. So they slap a yellow over around it, bada bing, bada boom. That's just in time for the Adam West TV show, which the first time we do see it on you know, media outside of comics. So I just love that there's history behind that. Like in continuity, yeah, you know, but and I guess I just love too that line where it's like, this is the gun that broke my heart. But now it will protect it. It's like that's just cheesy enough, but I love it. <laughs> well, Chris, a slight cor- a slight correction. The first time we see Batman outside of the comics is in the 1940s. Oh no! no but the the yellow oval though. Oh okay. Yeah, because no, you okay. had those those 1940s serials. Yes. And I think they had like which, two or which, three actors. Which are really yeah. sad ones. I got a I got a, D, a DVD with all of them. Yeah, well, I remember those. And you know, the Batmobile is a Buick. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it is sad and embarrassing. Oh yeah. A Buick. <laughs> I mean, how, I mean, at least a sports car. <laughs> Batman may be rich, but not the production company. Yeah, but no, but yeah. If you remember those, oh man, those cows were so ridiculous. You know, the ears would be pointing all kinds of different direction. But yeah, but he had that just that bat on his chest. So that's when they were like, oh, we need to change this up. So, like I said, for me, I just I love the history both. You know, in the real world, and then the history that it puts there in the comics as well. Well, I also like the, the what you brought up about the it's Julie Schwartz comes up with the idea so that he can trademark they, they can trademark the image, and it's the it's the real world versus the comic book world because it's the same thing with you know Bill Finger gave him a cape probably because because they were like oh we need capes capes and, and bat wings kind of thing right? right then someone along along the line comes like well why does Batman actually use a cape it seems it seems ridiculous well. A little bit of dialogue says, "Hey, it makes the body look bigger." So there's, you know, they they're shooting in areas yeah, that my body actually is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it it's it's, a, it's one of the great things uh, about the thinking of writing Batman kind of thing. I think uh, if anybody else has any more about that story, we can go on uh, to the, personally. Oh. Um, I don't know. Um, oh yeah, uh, personally, I kind of felt like he like from his personality wise, I I I think he would have just kept it. I mean, he would have just, like, I don't know, put it, like, somewhere, like, you know, just... Put it in a case? Yeah, or not for display, but just, like, I don't know, put it, like, as, you know, just uh, somewhere, like, in his... uh, Because, you know, he has, like, a huge collection of, like, of, you know, of of a whole bunch of, like, uh, villain um, things. But the one thing, yeah, that would have always just been, like, you know... You know, it, you're right. Just, uh, Alfred says the same thing. He's like, I helped you drag that dinosaur in here and that penny in here and all that other stuff. I, I, don't, I can't believe we're going to keep this gun here. This is a, a terrible thing. But I think it goes to the whole idea of uh, the title of Manufactured for Use. Like, he's keeping it, but he's going to put it to use. It's not going to be something that he uh, glorifies. It's gonna, something that he's going to – it's gonna. It's only going to be there for him to remember. In case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as a way to, like, uh, torture himself, he just goes back to it and then just, you know, like, seize it. Yeah. 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 Bruce is very strange in that regard. Well, it was funny. So they actually had a story, uh, Batman Year Two, and it's obviously been retconned because they just didn't want to go that route. Uh, but with that story, uh, Max, Mac, Mac, uh, Max Allen Collins, so M-A-C, he was the one who he had to follow up with Frank Miller's year one. And they were kind of published right at the same time, like within months apart. And so in that one, they actually had it that young Bruce Wayne, as a kid, grabbed the gun. 
Like he, he got it. He held on to it. So that's why it was never found. Uh, you know, he even learned to use it. That's how he learned how to shoot and all these things. And when he does eventually go on a case against the Reaper, who is the 1950s Batman stand-in. So he was, you know, after Alan Scott, there was the Reaper, and then it leads to Batman. And the Reaper was all about cold justice. He, he, you know, he'd cut you up with his big scythe hand or he'd shoot you. So then Batman realized, like, oh, this is very tough stuff. So he was carrying the gun as well. And they would have those famous Alan Davis, um, Todd McFarlane covers with Batman holding the gun and stuff like that. That edgy, like, oh, man, Batman's not guns. <clears throat> and so anyways, he finally decides after the, the end of that story, at the end of that case, he throws the gun into the Wayne Foundation, like, as they're building that building. So that's where it would be. So it's like, it's always going to be there at my foundation, but it's not going to be what defines me, you know? So I thought that was kind of poetic, but yeah, it is interesting. But Batman's a weird dude. I mean, like, if you really look at his, his bat cave, all those trophies, it's like, wow, here's a room full of stuff that almost killed me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. does he have the crowbar, you know, just sitting there, you know? So maybe that's why Jason Todd doesn't want to come around and be like, you're sick, Bruce, you know? Oh, you know, but that's also a good question because, uh, I mean, I know the Detective Comics 1000, the stories that take place in there might not take place in actual con- continuity and stuff like that. And then uh, Dick, not Dick, but uh, Tim Drake from the future, the future Batman, Titans of Tomorrow, you know, he's supposed to, the gun that he uses is supposed to be a manufacturer, or a modified version, or modified of the Batman that killed, or the gun that killed Batman's parents. That's right. So, yeah, where is that, I mean, if, if this story goes into that story, so did he reshape it after melting yeah, it down again? It's supposed to be that gun, but modified? Correct. Or like a modified model. No. He's done it's stuff be, to the okay, gun. It's yeah, that okay. gun. It's the actual gun. Mods he just to it. Huh. added mods to it. Yeah. yeah. I guess after the new 52, they kind of just, <laughs> you know. I mean, the, the, the uh, Tim Drake, the Tim Drake Batman came in after rebirth like that oh. he came back again the so it's, who yeah, knows where that actually exists because <laughs> now we have brian ben, brian michael bendis's young justice coming in and where does that tim drake come in yeah. so well, thing is in a separate universe it, <laughs> yeah. say, is it a multiverse issue well, <laughs> kevin smith wrote this with jim lee as the artist so you know you got the the co-publisher and a famous director yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. guys <laughs> like you know it's james tinian the fourth they don't they don't trump that card so it's like all right <laughs> it's jim lee literally coming in and says hey kev what would you like to write about? Yep. <laughs> I'll be your artist. That's probably exactly how it happened. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Which, which, you know, is good for the symbolism. But if anything, if we're talking about a practical stance, I've read Dark Knight's Metal, so I know Batman has access to stronger metals than that gun. Yeah. Of course. And you know what? He might have. It, it might be an alloy. He might have melted it down and put in some nth metal in there too. So. Well, but see, okay. If we're gonna, if we could, if we could take a break from the, the book for a section. But one thing I always like, I always like that Batman wore a costume. Nowadays, I feel like he wears armor, and I'm like, well, you're no real. You're not different than Iron Man. You know, because I always like the fact that you would, you'd see his costume get torn. And I guess maybe that was another reason why I did like that story in particular, is because you see the costume get ripped apart. You know, nowadays when you do pick up the new stuff, there's so much armor going on that it's like, you know, is it really anything? You know, I mean, I would, I feel like it'd be more like uh, military armor. Like, you know, you got plates in different areas oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. would just protect, but not so much restrict movement. Also, he doesn't have like an onboard computer, like in, like in his in uh, his cowl. Yeah, I'm okay with. Well, he <laughs> does have somewhat of one. I mean, it's it's enough to talk to people. Uh, yeah, but pick he's up not like it, infrared. It, it doesn't do have an, a, a 
AI or anything like that. Uh, no, that you're right. Yeah, or, or he hacks into like you know. But he's got Alfred back at the cave, <laughs> at the cave, typing into a giant bat computer. So but I, I can dig that part of it. But yeah, I see it's not the Tony Stark. Yeah, talking to Jarvis. Jarvis. Thing, yeah, which I'm glad. Do you think of him kind of just being a little more realistic and and I don't know, making it like like it could really be a person. In our own world, well, I think it know, should do. That's the like hope. That. That's the hope. Yeah, you know, because if you did that, then it makes sense that he is wearing armor. Because I mean, today's today's soldier is not going to go into battle unprotected, right? You know, mm. right. Well, but the thing is, too, he's also that ninja. He's going to be sneaking around, and you know, when you have all that, because now it's like, well, he becomes even harder to think because you don't see soldiers jumping around, building the building, swinging around. No, you don't. You know, so you don't see them walking around with an extra <laughs> eighty working. pounds of armor. <laughs> I mean, at the at the most, you'll see him repel out of the back of a helicopter, or, you know, from a hellhole of a, of a fifty-three or something like that. But uh, not, yeah, no, not swinging around on <laughs> rooftop shenanigans. Yeah. But then again, it it pays to be a billionaire, you know. <laughs> yes, it does. Wayne, Indus- Wayne, Wayne Enterprises, you know, they're doing all their fun stuff. And there. that's the thing. Not only does he have access to all that, but I mean, he's good friends with plenty of magic users. And so with all that, I mean, he well, does he's play never to been able to uh, master magic or even learn. True, he, and he, shouldn't, have to, he, and he shouldn't have he doesn't to. Have to. That's <laughs> why he's got his friends to do that. Yeah, yeah. put a little bit and of charms on his suit. <laughs> now all of a sudden, now he turns into Hellbat. Right? <laughs> yeah, some, some of the Batman depictions, I mean, some really show him like really puffed up, will, uh, bulked up with his uh, with his uniform. Uh, others have a little more slimmed down, and I imagine. <clears throat> That the uniform has uh, a kind of metallic thread through it, mm-hmm. yeah. right. all over, um, and maybe kind of a smart clothing that we would begin to recognize. So something hits him, it's not going to penetrate, right? Right. Or very, or very rarely penetrate. But yeah, yeah. But the fact that he doesn't have superpowers, his superpowers is mine. Despite the movie says I'm rich, right? <laughs> yeah. superpower, I'm rich. I yeah, imagine that man doesn't count anymore. <laughs> imagine, imagine that scene in John Wick Chapter Two where he was getting that suit made. Yep. Well, yeah. That, and, yep. You know, that stuff I can buy into. It, it had that, you know, that like you just said, that that really strong fibrous. Yes. Or the liner. I was just, yeah, like or the first uh, Incredibles where Edna's like it, Mega Mesh. That's old stuff. We don't need that anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I can appreciate it because yeah, I mean, I, we saw in the Daredevil Netflix series they had clothing like that. You know, John Wick is a great example of that as well, and I'm okay with that. But it's just when you started seeing like the bulky armor that they were kind of doing, like I want to say I want to like mid 2000s. That kind of killed it for me because also in the new video game with Arkham Knight, that's true too. He's kind of oh yeah, he's bulked out with that. I mean, I don't mind it. It's a neat look and and stuff like that. But but what about bringing that to the comics? That's when it's what about when he goes up against characters like Superman, where he has to he throws on the the bigger armor. I'm okay with that because that goes back to the 1950s. That's his preparation. Yeah. 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 You don't need that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, but I, I like that. That's not being silly. That's him preparing himself for yeah. the inevitable, which is yeah. him getting his butt kicked. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I like that because that shows, again, his preparation. You know, he knows he's got specific weapons for specific people, and that's why it's like you have the zebra Batman costume because he's like, hey, there is a need for this. You know, the Batman of Zen and Ur. It, it was a historical thing. Grant Morrison is just crazy. He's like, I'm going to make this even more. But it's awesome to see, and I love that. I think that's great when he's got different cowls and scenarios because, you know, again, matches Malone. That's another costume he wears for the situations that's required. Okay, so speaking of matches Malone and all the 
situations you will need him. Apparently, Matches Malone isn't the only henchman identity you're going to yes. need. Yes. Uh, we get yes. the legend <laughs> of Newt Brody by Paul Didney and our, uh, pencils by Dustin Nguyen. Um, I honestly, I don't know if there's been any other storylines with Newt Brody in it. I don't remember this character. I feel like it's tugging at the back of my brain, but I don't remember him particularly. That's how good he is. He just, he's, he's like a ghost. He comes in, messes up the bad guy's day, keeps going forward. And the, but the funny thing is, is that you have all the different Bat family at one point wearing this character. But I know, I know that uh, Tim has his own Matches Malone type character. I'm sure Dick did. I don't recall, but I, Newt Brody, I believe this is his first appearance. Okay. This is just a fun, you know, like, this is this is Paul Dini. He loves those stories, those offbeat, charming <laughs> little tales. And what a great way to feature so many characters. And so villains. Many different stories, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, characters being part of that, yeah. And it's, you know, this is almost like, because I, I, if I remember correctly, I think one of his favorite episodes was that I almost got him. Right. That's when all the bad guys yeah, were playing yeah. poker and they talk about that. <laughs> and that's what this is, you know. It's like, we would have gotten away for it except for Newt, that Idiot, yeah, <laughs> get in the way, and it's like, well, there well, you go. How about that one episode where um, it's that one henchman that like um, just by accident he's like uh, beats up uh, Batman, and everybody watches him as like squid something. Um, oh, yeah, I and think. he goes to jail, and yeah. he's like, I'm the one that beat up the Batman, and Batman Sid allows the squid. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sid the squid. <laughs> I, yeah. I felt it was like a like if this was an actual like henchman just like if it was actually a henchman it would just be like something like that just somebody who just got lucky yeah. <laughs> somebody would. or just really bad at his job but that's exactly what the story is it's supposed to be funny mm-hmm. it's supposed to be cool and, can, and all these different aspects what I like about it is how it's very reminiscent of the animated series exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it is even the costumes the and costumes of like, the, yeah. the criminals and like, how it's a docu-series that's mm-hmm. like the idea of tonight on Dateline these are the different things going on. We're going to listen to Gotham's criminals talk about the unknown Newt Brody. <laughs> and ju- just the fact that they're all they're like, yeah, I remember the time that he came in, this and that happened. Like, I think it's really, really clever writing and kind of a good little segue into whatever the next story is because, yeah, Batman's longest case, kind of fun, manufactured for use, supposed to be touching. The legend of Newt Brody, supposed to be funny. So I, I, I really appreciated that. It's kind of like, what kind of emotion am I going to feel next? Yeah, I, I like that aspect. I never looked at it that way, and I like that because Batman is that. We've seen great stories where we're like, oh, man, like when I'm feeling sad, this is the one to read. When I'm feeling happy, this is the one to read. And I like this, that it does give you that emotional roller coaster. That's pretty cool. I didn't look at it that way. Because, yeah, this one was fun. I love the fact that Alfred's even played the part. Mm-hmm. And then even at the cheesy part, because you know it's not real. Damien's not that guy. But then Damien jumps up, and he's like, fine, I'll be Newt Brody Jr., you know? <laughs> Which would also not be uncommon for Gotham City. Like, you would have your child become the new you or the junior you or something yeah. like that. You've got, what, Dula Dent, the Joker's daughter. You right. Know, son of the Joker. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all family. It's just... The Hatfields and McCoys going nuts <laughs> in Gotham. Uh, is there anybody else wanted to say anything about that one? It, like you said, it's just a fun one. It's it's a fun little story. Uh, next story is the Batman's design by Warren Ellis and uh, ooh. artist Becky Coolin. Coolin. This one is my Coolin, favorite, yeah. hands down. Let me take you back to a second to one of the greatest stories ever made, and that's Batman Year One. Very reminiscent of that, specifically in the gritty look and the monochromatic palette of different colors. This was my favorite story because Batman doesn't have to say a lot of words. It's all action-based, and it showcases not only is he the greatest detective, like it's been showcased so far, but in here, he's always got a plan. He's the man with the plan, always prepared. And it has some of the greatest moments to me 
greatest line spoken in this entire thing. And that's when the man has the dirty bomb attached to him. And he's threatening Batman, saying, You get any closer, I'll take us both out. I'm going to make the river really poison for years. And Batman, just so cool, with so much fire behind him, just looks at him and goes, Look at me. I'm already dead. (laughs) (laughs) And just... He gives him the detonator. And to me, that is what a good Batman story is. It's fast. It's loud. It's in your face. It goes really fast. And then it just says something, and then everybody's just terrified. Not at any point in this. I, we know the Batman is just a person in a suit. But to these, he is the literal, literal incarnation of the devil. And he's there to collect their sins. And that's why I like this story. Because it's a story that doesn't have to use a lot of words to tell what's going on. But... It's universal in the idea of, yup, if I was in this situation, I'd have to change my pants. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is definitely the Dark Knight one. Like, this is where he's showcasing. Because we always talk about his power set, but fear, his mastery of fear is huge. And yeah, to go up to this guy with a dirty bomb, because it's like, all that guy's got to do is move his thumb, and I'm dead as well. But he just, yeah, because I, I did love that moment too, where it's like, look at me. You know, you're like, oh. So, shit. okay, <laughs> we always talk about Batman being, uh, you know, Preparation, preparation first, right? Right. Um, is this is this him knowing something about this kid who has a bomb strapped to himself, saying like, look, he, he's he's done the psychological uh, background on the kid. He knows that he's not actually going to do it. Or is this just the hubris of Bruce Wayne being like, I'm the Batman. There's no way that I die in this situation. I like I like the aspects of both, but I see the hubris in it. Uh-huh. I think he really comes into it, and you see his plan go to full fruition without any issues. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, when the when the one random moment, the one wild card comes in that could completely destroy it, and Batman does the very Batman thing. He's already a, a living more than life itself. And so when he comes out, it's like, you really want to test me right now? <laughs> so the hubris is there, but I think it's part of the character that he plays. Because I also think, in a certain part, Bruce would have been also shitting himself in that moment too. Like, <laughs> oh no. Oh no. But at that moment he's gone so far that it, it plays into who he's supposed to be. Yeah, you know? I, I agree with that and in your description earlier. I mean I just loved it just as I was glancing through it. This is really Batman at his best. He's what he can't plan for, he knows how to improvise. He knows how to maneuver with whatever is thrown his way. That's the best way to put it, exactly. So and the the last panel Reminded me of Batman War on Crime, if you saw that. Oh, yeah. yeah. In which he talks to Boy out of repeating a life of crime. And in this case, forcing the basically older boy, young young man, to face what he's doing and on his own to back down and stop. He's using his own uh, power of persuasion and to uh, really uh, flick with his mind, get him to, to flip it. And turn it around. Just uh, you know, that's what a master detective and this master detective does. Yeah, I really I love the fact that because even at the start of the story, Batman himself is saying like these guys are between being just some you know terrorists or being between a cult. So I I I think it's the hubris side of things. But I love the fact, and to me, I think this is new to the mythos. I love the fact that Batman has a warehouse that's set up. So he's like, I'm going to trick these guys into going there, and we're going to have our battle here, and then I've got it all rigged. So, you know, he's doing stuff like F2, bam, that's going to explode there. 
And it's just like, that's flipping awesome. I mean, I love the idea that Alfred is in the cowl. Like, they're, you know, talking and whatnot, and Alfred can get information. But I love the fact that now Batman, like I said, has a warehouse in town where he can do some stuff. That's that's cool. Well, so, he is very rich, so he can <laughs> I mean, it. it doesn't matter. Now, not only is he very rich, but he's he's that much more even tactical. Yeah, no, he, he maneuvered them up. into a place where it, it it's going to work best for him, and he has that all set up. That, that, and that was the, the, I mean, that's kind of the other part of my question is the whole preparedness. If he couldn't convince this kid to give him the, 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 the detonator, did he have a move where he was going to cut the line? You know, is, did he already have a move? Is he three moves ahead to the point where that bomb's never going off? Or even if he, if he does, does he know three feet away there is a bunker that he can jump <laughs> into and it's lead-lined and it's gonna be he's going to be just fine kind of thing? You know what I mean? I think it's mostly just of um, he's prepared to die. That, that's another thing. Yeah, he could he, just he, be prepared to die. Yeah, he, yeah. Or as he said, he is already dead. Yeah, I mean, this is just like... Um, in any situation, he is like, if anything were to go wrong, he is like, okay, I could die. Tomorrow, I could die. It's just... And you know, and that is an interesting thing, too. I've always saw Batman as he's ready to he's ready to give it all up, but he's never ready to die. Like, he could... Like, I, I'm sure that there are contingencies in place for if he does die, that the next person, like Dick, will have to pick up the mantle. But I don't feel like he, he could be like... Gotham can't exist if I don't exist. Like, it all goes to hell if I'm not around. Like, that's how I see Batman. Yeah, I never really... I, I see him in that same light. I don't think Batman thinks of dying. No. He doesn't wake up and he's like, okay, this could be my last case. I never saw that until Tom King took over. Ooh. And I think it was Batman Rebirth number one when he's saving that plane. I never saw Batman think that way. There, never, you're right. That is a great issue. Yeah. I, I've, I've never seen him be suicidal or anything. And granted, what we would think, yeah, that is suicide. <laughs> you're doing all these things. But he knows he's going to come out. Like, he's Batman. Uh-huh. And you have to think that way. You have to psych mm-hmm. yourself up. You have to hype yourself up because... Who the hell's who the hell is else going to run into a fiery building? Who's going to go after a madman like the Joker? You brought up the Scarecrow. He's one of the worst villains because yes. he he gets inside your head. He ruins you from within. And I mean, it's just Batman doesn't. So I mean, I I don't think there he knew that there was a bunker that he could jump into and survive the blast. I don't think he's emitting an EMP that could obviously shut that stuff down. I I just I feel that's Bruce being like, well, I'm this badass. I'll scare the hell out of this punk mm-hmm. because. I mean, because, like, to me, I think, well, maybe Batman could decide, like, hey, I'm going to rush hug this kid, have my cape wrap around, we both blow up. Mm. Like, he could be ready to take it down, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, if you're this smart and planned, you wouldn't have taken a dirty bomb to a water source also, you know. But I just, I don't think he is on that suicidal radar. I think he always knows I'm going home because that's, like, look at Batman Nightfall. He wasn't prepped for Bane, Mm-mm. you know. It, it happened. He just pushed himself to the limit. He got broken apart, you know. Even in Batman R.I.P., he still just kept going from one crisis to the next, from Dr. Hurt to Darkseid. He didn't have anybody prepped to pick up the cow. That's why you had the three boys running around deciding who is Batman. Azrael got to be Batman after Nightfall. He just he does his stuff. He doesn't think about the aftermath. We, we look at it now because it's kind of exciting to talk about. We live in a world with Terry McGinnis, but, I mean, no, Bruce doesn't think that way. I think he's just, I mean, there's probably like a big uh, cell full of like extra Bruce Waynes and they'll just get <laughs> shot up with some RNA and I'll be like, okay, I'm in body number 12. Here we go. <laughs> so well, I think, oh, go ahead. So funny that you bring up Azrael in Nightfall because the next story uh, <laughs> is written by Denny O'Neill, the creator of Azrael. 
my favorite, one of my favorite Bat Family members. Unfortunately, I did not like this story. Uh, the Return to Crime Alley. You have Dr. Leslie Tompkins um, in danger by a group of hooligans that have, they literally just find some mask and they're like, you know what? We have the, the, the amenity behind us now. Let's go and cause some ruckus. And they, they don't believe that it's the Batman standing in front of them, so they're going to go rob him. I mean, you're living in Gotham City. Do you even take that chance? Even on Halloween? Even on Halloween. I wouldn't take that chance. Nobody goes to Crime Alley. Like, it's true. It, it has been established. Like, where is Batman his most angriest? For some reason, Crime Alley. You don't fuck around Crime Alley. Uh, th- to give the story something good, because I, I know I didn't like it, but to give the some the story something good, Steve Epting, he was a big famous Batman artist. I want to say around the seventies. The art does look great. Yeah, thank God he is he is aging well. His art style has stayed and remained, and he did a great job. I did not like Leslie Tompkins' voice here. I nope. didn't like the way she was portrayed because first her yelling Bruce out in the middle of battle. My biggest uh, problem. That was a big thing, and then she knows Bruce at his heart. You know, she knows what's going on. And it's like, really, to be that contradictory of him at that moment? Just, no. She does. She is. Like, she, like, I always hoped her and Alfred would get together. Mm-hmm. I always thought those two would be great because those are really Batman's parents, you know. But I just, I did not like her voice here. I mean, this was just Denny O'Neill being like, I need a mouthpiece. And that's where I'm going to put it through. And I know I'm going to steal this one from Rafa. He, I, I would give him full credit. But it's like, this is a book celebrating Batman. And this is the one story that kind of demeans Batman. You think they did that just because of the generation that we're in now? Or? Well, I think- Denny O'Neill has always been like, we call him SJWs nowadays. He was the original one. I okay. mean, he was the one. He, you know, he was like, hey, I'm going to write Green Lantern. So let's bring in Green Arrow. He made Ollie, you know, he gave him the cooler suit. Gave him that voice, you know, and all these things. He depowered Wonder Woman because he wanted her to be able to stand on her own two feet. And even he recognized that was the worst era (laughs) in Wonder Woman's writing. You know, he's always been that type of guy. And and this does lend itself to it, you know, where it's like, you know, like I know right now, like Jerry Conway, like I'm going to go your alley for Punisher. Jerry Conway right now is speaking out against the Punisher. He doesn't want people to like him because it is kind of scary when you see cops driving around with the Punisher logo on. Like, no, we don't want, like, we want cops to be able to fight like the Punisher and do those kind of things, but we don't want them to actually do those kind of things because. No, we, no, we don't. You know, yeah, cops <laughs> should be Superman where yeah. they, the yeah. kid can run up to them and say, hey, you know, my cat's stuck in a tree and they'll give you the time of day. Yeah. You know, so to me, this definitely, I feel like this is where Denny O'Neill and, and the, the Jerry Conway, where they're kind of looking at it, it's like, you know, we did give those characters balls and we made them like. You know, alpha males, but we didn't put them in check either. See, I'm not that familiar with the uh, female character here. Leslie, Leslie Tompkins, the yeah, the doctor. She she sets she usually sets up like a she has a, a free clinic in in the middle of you know Gotham. That's that's where Bruce goes when he really injured, or Batman goes when he's really injured. Oh wait a minute, wait! I thought she was a whole lot younger than this. Usually well, she is depicted younger. They, they change her. Well, no, yeah. she's always been older. Yeah, I but know. They, but they made her younger. Like I know she's in the TV show. She's Gotham in the TV right show. Now. Yeah, yeah, Gordon's no. kind yeah. of in a relationship. The Batman in here, though. The Batman here looks like he could be in his late thirties, early forties, which would make sense for her. Yeah, being for her being older too. Yeah, because yeah. well, she's like way older. Yeah, because yeah. she's supposed to be. That the minute Bruce Wayne's parents were shot, he was there alone for a while. Then when the cops showed up, she was the first person to run up and be like, are you okay? Oh, my goodness. You know, give him that motherly compassion. And so that kind of stuck with him. And then the fact that, yeah, she's this lady who's like, I remember 
Crime Alley when it was a good neighborhood. It was called something you else. Know, yeah. yeah. Something Row, Park Row, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but she was the one, and, and that's what's nice about her character is that, you know, that's what we do. When we see neighborhoods go to crap, we leave them. We don't stay and support them. And she's like, no, I'll stay here. And she does. She has her hospital clinic and stuff like that. Yeah. She but, has. Well, go ahead. Well that, well, that explains why she's so soft. And her softness <laughs> irritates me. To <laughs> <laughs> when, when Batman's giving one of his kids their one uppings. Yeah. yeah. Which way is up? Oh, no, Bruce. Please stop. So, He's had enough. No. Women I know is they kick him again. <laughs> well, okay, so I mean, not, yeah. to, not to contradict anybody, and, and, and uh, like I said, it's not one of my favorite. It's definitely not the, 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 the story of the book that I don't like, but I think Denny O'Neill is saying a lot of things without writing it in this one. Like, he's, he, you have the one, one of the two people that knows what this alley really means to Bruce. So he, he's going, taking on these punks that literally it, it's a it's a kick or a punch that would take them down, but he's wailing on them. So he's yeah. she's going through something and she recognizes, it, and that's why she says at the end, "I'm stop, I'm I feel sorry for you." Like yeah, it does it does demean the rest of the the celebration of Batman in this book, but I think it's 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 taking a moment out to be like, hey, there are real psychological issues here. Like yeah. there's a reason why. Bruce does what he does, and this—I mean—was just short of PTSD. I mean, this this is a place where he watched his parents get gunned down. You know? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're that's talking that's about a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about trauma. I mean, the guy took the gun that killed his parents, and now he wears it on his chest. Right. There's a ton of you know he's got some bats in his belfry. Hey. You know? <laughs> but I mean, there's there's been a lot of and Mitch is going to edit that out. Uh, but there's a there's a lot. You're right. There's a lot of psychological damage to the man. You know, and it's not even from his parents' trauma anymore. And we've seen that. You know, they've they've done beautiful stories where they show that. Like again, I used to love the fabric costume because sometimes you'd see Batman was so crazy, like his knuckles would be exposed from mm-hmm. his gloves. You know, but I just I don't know. I guess this you, is maybe the one. Out of somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, I, I get it that you know sometimes he shouldn't push as hard and whatnot. You know, because we were just talking about in the last story where I'm Batman, give it to me. And the kid does. Right. Here's three random ass street punks. And, you know, but again, there is something that to add to that, though, those kids and like some people in Gotham, they assume Batman isn't real. So as far as they know, that's just a dude in a costume as well. Um, but do you take that chance? <laughs> no, you don't. Especially because, again, like, you never which, take which, that chance. which, which, well, yeah, and you're right. You know, like, which urban legends count, which ones don't. And it's like, you know, again, like I said, people know you don't screw around on, on Crime Alley. And even for the most part, people have even known, like, they did enough. There was this was also featured in Batman the Animated Series as well. I think it's the first one with Leslie Tompkins where you see people are like, hey, man, it's that day. Let's all get away from Crime Alley. And then, you know, it's like a minor kid crime. Batman stops it. You know, he's kind of looking fierce. And, you know, here comes Leslie Tompkins. And she does that, too, where it's like, hey, just calm down a little bit, you know. And, I mean, it does stay with her. But I just, I don't know. The tone just didn't sound right. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, there's four of the kids. So, I mean, there is um, courage in numbers. I completely agree with with Mitch, you know, why take that chance. But it's all that idea of, you know, it's is Batman actually real? So, I mean, I could see that. But also gives us another great line when the kid pulls the gun on Batman and Batman just goes, you dare pull a gun on me. <laughs> <laughs> see, like, that's, that's when you see the red. I'm like, oh, no. That's when, that's when, like, that's when I'm inside Leslie's body going, oh, no. <laughs> that was a clean version of him going, this mother trucker. <laughs> 
That's when he rips out his chest plate. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> but I think the, this, these kung fu moves that he busts on the kids kind of segues into the next story, Heretic, because we get some more punching in that one too, especially with the beginning of the story, which is dealing in Lhasa. I don't know where that is. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lhasa for the next Lhasa? one? Yeah. yeah, so The Heretic written by uh, Christopher Priest and artist Neil Adams. Uh, yeah, we start off in... I, I, I Actually, I don't really understand what's going on in this, this, yeah, this story. I agree. There's there's a lot of... It goes back and forth. Um, I think the art is okay. I think the story is whatever. Um, if they were going to utilize Raish, I wish they would have done a better story or something more profound. Chinese. It's Chinese. Oh, thank you. Um, China. Yep. Because ultimately, I mean, I like how they're they're doing the throwback to the the sweet blue costume, but so so the idea is that there is a um, off offshoot from the League of Assassins, right. That doesn't uh, isn't happy with Rachel Gould because he allowed Bruce Wayne to be in the league for a little bit to learn their ways, and even though Rache is the demon's head and he's the He's the one who says everything. Like these, these, these people are the heretic. They're like, no, you, you, you screwed up. We're gonna do our own thing, and they start killing other members of the League of Assassins, or no, uh, oh, someone that Bruce helped or or something like that. Get away from the League. I think yeah. that's what it was. From what I understand, they're 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 killing off people who are trying to start a new life away from the League because the whole thing, right, is you either leave, you leave either you leave in a casket. There is no life go. after the league. Exactly. <laughs> so do you think that this is a plant for a future story? This is a future group that we're going to see in, in, in further adventures of Batman. Well, something that was interesting, Sam pointed this one out. There is a caption in here that references Batman Volume 1431. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think that's actually the first time we do meet the League of Assassins. Okay. Um, League of Assassins yeah. So... Like and it's kind of interesting because the 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 artist on this one, Neil Adams, he usually always teams up with Denny O'Neill. So I'm really yeah. surprised they didn't team up. Yeah. Christopher Priest is still very active with DC Comics. He's writing a lot of stuff. Actually, I think he's uh, he might even be writing for both DC and Marvel. And so I mean, with with Priest, I could see him setting something up like keep your eye out on the Deathstroke book. There might be something to come to fruition with this because it's it's very much you know where it's like you don't mess with Batman and you also don't mess with with the wings because that's what it kind of it's the curse of the wallet you know so i mean i do like this in the regard that it, it, it's one of those like twilight zone type mm -hmm. of stories mm -hmm. you know um that's a great question will we see something more later i think so like i said i mean christopher priest he doesn't really just throw away stuff yeah you know but i'll admit though this one it it kind of got a little too long-winded for me so i kind of <laughs> found myself breezing through this story yeah. faster because I was just like, eh, you know, this isn't really that exciting. And you're right. If you're going to pull out a major ace like Rachel Ghoul, do something more. You know, like, oh, you know, like he's just in there. Give, but me, a, I will, give me a sword fight. Yeah, you know, we want that, that yeah. classic <laughs> stuff. Uh, but Chris, I will say it was nice, though, to see that Neil Adams, his art still holds up. You know? Yeah, Chris, what did you think of Oswald Cobblepot appearing at the end of this story? Oh, so then the, yeah, the, the, the next, next story one. that yeah, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, so I thought that one was kind of neat. Um, like, it, it, it's it's neat, and I like that they picked, like, the Penguin. Because, I mean, like, it, it's fine, because at some points they'll write the Penguin to the point where he's, like, the kingpin. Mm -hmm. Like, he's the kingpin equivalent, so he's a smart mastermind. And then there's times where they write him where he's just the short, fat kid who had an umbrella fetish. You know, and it's it's like, well, which way do you go? But I like this story, and especially too, like Alex Mavley for the the artist on this one. I like how he he 
he recognizes certain eras. I mean, when you see the opener, that penguin definitely looks like Danny DeVito's penguin. Oh, yeah. Uh, then when you open up to the title pages, you see the Batman Returns penguins. Then you see different you know looks of him. Even looking at uh, the rogues gallery in that essence, they showcase Selena Kyle, and she looks like the Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer yeah. of a Catwoman. Yeah, and so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love like he did a great job of sampling from everywhere because I even like his uh, his choice of how he chose two faiths. Um, he definitely used the oh gosh, who was the artist on that one? I think it was uh, the guy we, we Jr. Junior, uh, mm-hmm. John Romita Junior, when Scott Snyder when they wrote Two Face together. But I, I think it was neat because. I could see most of the other characters. Like, I could see a lot of these people finding out that, oh, yeah, Bruce Wayne was Batman, and they wouldn't care. But that smugness, that hubris of Oswald Cobblepot, I could see him going up and be like, I knew the whole time. And as a matter of fact, I saved you. It was all me. And then Batman just electrocutes him. He's like, you know, fuck off. You know? Like, so, yeah, I, I wonder that bring, was great. I want to bring that up. This is definitely a Brian Michael Bendis story. You can <laughs> you can feel him in all the writing in this, in this one. Yeah. And... Uh, at the end, when when you have Cobblepot just getting straight into Bruce's face, who's in a wheelchair, and for all intents and purposes, it looks like he's almost comatose. Like he he is just looking off in the distance, but absorbing everything that Cobblepot is saying. He electrocutes him, and then he's Cobblepot's like, "They told me you weren't talking. They told me you didn't know, or you 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 know you couldn't do anything." <laughs> so speak. like yeah, so the I, it feels like the two of them are just at a nursing home somewhere, and that just that would be awesome. Right? <laughs> okay, well, well I'll put I mean, you like, back in your room. <laughs> you know, when Batman finally speaks, good visit. You know, it's like. <laughs> You know, like last week it was Victor Fries who maybe did this, you know, but I just, I love the fact that it was Oswald because like I said, I've seen him from both extremes where he is comical to the point where he is scary. And I love that. I I felt he would have that hubris to come up to Bruce and be like, I knew the whole time. And as a matter of fact, you know, like, you know, because even right there, I'm looking at the page when he finally says the I knew out loud. and, And now, you know, the only reason you're still alive is because I'm smarter than you. I win. Like to me. This story, this is this was probably written for Daredevil, and that was Wilson Fisk coming to confront oh, him. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I could totally yeah. see that. You're it's right. Like, yeah, perfect. Well, I'm glad it got used here. <laughs> one thing though, he did have a point though. If he were to kill Bruce Wayne, uh, just his uh, Batman's identity as Bruce Wayne, he would just be Bruce. Uh, he would be Batman twenty four seven because it yeah. has happened. <laughs> yeah, we saw Kingdom Come. Kingdom yeah. Come's a perfect example. I mean, when they all when. Bane and Two-Face come in and they, they expose his identity, they shatter his back. You screwed everybody. Why? Because now Batman's 24-7. <laughs> like, you killed the one thing that stopped us, Bruce Wayne, you know? And I, or, I, yeah. or that other time when I forget which one it was, where, like, uh, Bruce Wayne was wanted for, like, a murder that yeah, happened. Fugitive. Wanted, yeah, fugitive. Yeah, yeah we, I bring that up a lot in our podcast, the idea that Bruce, he, he goes straight into, like, look, I can drop the Bruce Wayne identity anytime I want. I have backups, and I have backups for all my family, too. So we can go off and be some some other civilian, but we'll always be the bats. So it's up to you kind of thing. Like, I, I love that. I love that idea. But yeah, another issue of Batman just flexing on somebody. Yep. This time, the unfortunate soul just happens to be Penguin. <laughs> Super old Penguin. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I thought that was fun. That was a, a very – it is a Bendis story. It's got that lightheartedness mm-hmm. to it. Um, and I think it's neat that he can still put that lightheartedness even in these gothic characters, you know. So, yeah, this was this was a fun one. It definitely – I'm glad for the placement. I'm glad it came right after that Neil Adams uh, priest one 
Because that one was a hard pill to read through. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all of them, it was like, okay. And that one, it's like I kept turning the page hoping, like, please be the end. Please be the end. So <laughs> this one was just fun. You know, yeah, and whereas I know this story with the penguin picks up and it's like, all right, we're getting back into, into shape. Yeah. For me personally, when I went into The Last Crime in Gotham, don't get me wrong, I love Jeff Johns. I think Jeff Johns is one of the greatest writers of all time. But I couldn't get into the story. I thought it was interesting. Maybe it was the artwork um, by Kelly Jones yep. that threw me off, but it just it felt too weird. It felt too wacky. This, to me, seemed more like a Grant Morrison story rather than a Jeff Johns I get, story. I get exactly what you're saying until that last page. Okay. I get exactly what you're saying because it does. It seemed, what are we reading here? Yep. What is going on? Um, you have, okay, so you got the signal going off. It yep. starts off with a birthday cake yep. being lit. Then the signal going out of the flames. You have an older Batman, an older Catwoman. Uh, I'm guessing that's Damien. Yeah, as an Damien older Robin. Is an older Robin. Uh, and then a uh, Bat- Echo. Bat- oh, it's yeah. They call her Echo, yeah. but we don't know who that is. It's yeah, no one that's been the so daughter of Selena and Bruce, maybe. So yeah, essentially, yeah. it's Huntress. <laughs> yeah, Huntress yeah. From, essentially. From, yeah, from past. And then a new Bat Dog, a new Ace, yeah. who looks like a golden retriever from my. From I my, don't I know. Know. I can't see so, Batman having. A that means the retriever. mask works. Can't <laughs> <laughs> even tell the brain. Every one of his villains is picked off in this. Like they're they're killed. It's one way or another. And literally, Batman, our greatest detective, has didn't, didn't see any of this coming. Wasn't able to put a stop to any of it. But uh, eventually, it comes out that the Joker's son did all the killing, and then he killed himself. And this, it, I mean, it's just like, well, okay, so what do we, what's he, Batman doesn't have anything to do here. What's going on? And that's, that's when you find out that it's, it's Bat, it's Bruce's wish, his birthday wish, that he doesn't have to do it anymore. He doesn't have to, he gets to live out the, the end of his career with his family, you know, being who they are and not, I mean, that's, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's so out there. It's such an out there story. But then you have, it's Jeff Johns saying Batman is lonely. He is so lonely. He sits in the cave by himself. Alfred made him a cake, but he he doesn't have anything else to do other than sit here and wish for the day when he doesn't have to be Batman anymore. And now that it finally comes, how do we get Batman to reassemble into normal human life? Is that even possible? No. Yeah, it is. Right there, his wish. Oh, it settles. There always be. always be. We've had this talk. You know, it shows at the end. It'll be Selena who's there for Bruce. Like that's what brings him back in the real world. It's not Talia. It's not Zatanna. It's Selena. Oh, I mean that's his I fondest mean, wish. There Tom King had his way. Yeah, <laughs> but this wasn't Tom King. No, I know. It's Jeff, it's Jeff Jones. You know, so there's more people on that side. That that was just the great little victory part for me. But yeah, does Bruce Wayne go to normal life? Oh my God. Um, but you're if even in that storyline, <laughs> Selena, Here one of the world's greatest cat burglars, is she going to go back to her normal life? No. No, they, they, well, their normal <laughs> no. life is so weird. Like, there was one, this reminds me of a story. Um, so it was during the whole Nightfall, Night Quest, Night's End storyline, right? Mm-hmm. And during the Night Quest, Alfred was like, Bruce, I'm sick of you. You're in a wheelchair. You need to heal, and you're not even going to listen. I'm gone. I'm tired of talking to walls. And he leaves. And, of course, Bruce, you know, heals. Night's End is over. And then it's now Bruce Wayne alone in the mansion and in the cave by himself. And there's one point where he's like, I'm hungry. And he just looks around. He doesn't know what to do, you know. And it's like, oh my god! And and then like he goes to the store and he's like, I'm gonna go buy a hot dog. And it just so happens that a crime is happening right there. And it's like he can't escape it. Like his life will never be the same. Like 
the closest we'll see will probably be like Lego Batman, where he is running around the mansion with the cowl on all the time. Where it's like, this is just how my life will be. I'll be Batman all we, the time. And you know what else is going on in, in, in Batman comics right now is is uh, Rick Grayson. Like, that is a great example of can a superhero vigilante incorporate back into regular life after not being the, the vigilante anymore? And Rick can't. He, yeah. Every moment that he tries to be not Nightwing... He ends up being Nightwing. Like yeah, life just forces him. Yeah, he 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 uh, he knows how to take out a bad guy before he even realizes he can remember what it is that he's supposed to do that day. Like he he can't figure out his past, but yet he knows how long it takes to uh, you know strip down a weapon and take out a bad guy. You know with a with a rope and I don't know soda can. Well, I like this because it, it, it reminds me of the story of Oedipus. You can never escape your fate. True. You know, like when he was told, like, you'll, you'll kill your father, you'll marry your mother. And it was like, oh, then let's sneak him out of the town. And they do. And then, the, the you know, the, the, rid, the riddle of the Sphinx brings, or no, I guess he actually just wound up going back to town and slaying a rich man and, and marrying the queen of the town. Mm-hmm. You can't escape your fate. And that's what I think is neat about with the story of Rick Grayson and Nightwing. And that's what I feel with Batman because... Like, even, you know, poking fun at, you know, the whole Catwoman thing. Like, when we all talked about the wedding. You can't have Batman be married. You can't. Because it's his deepest desire is to have that family, which he has. And that's the sadness of it, is that he'll never fully recognize it. You know, he, he kind of pushes them away because of the mission. And so it's just interesting that they'll never escape their fate. So I don't see Bruce Wayne going back to normal life. Because it's, you know, I guess this even goes back to that whole, what's real, Bruce Wayne? Or who's the mask, Bruce or Batman? Bruce's, you know, so I just, I don't think he ever could be a normal person. He'll always have to be Batman. You think the Lee would ever give him that mercy kill, just snap the neck? <laughs> I think that's why we have, or like, Rachel Gould. I don't, or, think, I don't think Batman would ever let the Lee take him out. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll be like, you remember Tower of Babel? I'm back. <laughs> you going to say uh, something? Uh, I don't want to go to a dark place here, okay? Okay. Here it comes. All these questions, all these questions you guys are asking. Are the same questions you could ask of the American veteran. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Any, Absolutely true. And honestly, any country's veteran. But I mean, you guys are asking those questions, and I'm thinking, you know, I've been out for 20 years, and there's still certain things that are just ingrained in me from from one, from my time when I was on active duty. It's like, where does what does that end? What is that line? What do you stop being the Batman? What do you stop being a soldier? What do you stop being a Marine? You don't. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there's a joke on the internet right now about um, about this psychologist. Well, it's not, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but there's a, there's a story that I've been seeing online where this um, psychologist or psychiatrist was, was talking about, you know, how long it takes to get back into civilian life. And they, I don't remember what branch they said, but like, you know, for, for the average Air Force person, it's like, I don't know, three or four hours or whatever. For the average sailor, it's like three or four weeks. You know, for the average soldier, it's like three or four years maybe. But for the average Marine, you don't. You don't. You don't stop. I mean, we may stop PT and, you know, all four branches. I, I guarantee you I don't PT the way I did when I was on active duty. And it shows when you look at me, you know. <laughs> but um, but the mindset's always going to be there. The the looking at places, you know, walking into a place and going, okay, where's the nearest exit? Yeah. You know, where's the back entrance to this place? You know, am I going to park my car facing outboard? You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds silly, you know, when, when I'm sitting here talking about it, but I got my 20 year old son does that now. Mm-hmm. My 20 year old son will park facing out as a result of something that he's seen me do oh, since wow. he was a kid. 
You know, I didn't even it's it's it wasn't even anything that I trained him to do or said, Okay, this is how you this is how you're gonna do this. Or this you know? is the reason why. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you, I mean all these questions you're like, Man, how do you when do you stop? I don't think he ever will. I don't think he ever does and and you're right, I don't think the League of Shadows will ever get an opportunity to kill him. No. <laughs> no. That's a good point, yeah. That's no, a big it, thing. Yeah. It showed in the last one. I mean, even in a wheelchair, old and everything, he still has something to to protect himself right. with. Sure. <laughs> he still has. Okay, if something were to happen, I still have something. He's gonna press a button, and a double barrel shotgun's gonna pop up from behind him. It's <laughs> gonna start well, tracking. I mean, it's actually it's interesting you talk about that because even if you talk about like. Like the idea of muscle memory, your body will just do that. You hear that that pop, you know exactly what your reactions are. Yeah. You know, everybody goes through that one like that. And it's funny because, like, you look at the idea of the Winter Soldier from Captain America. You know, Bucky's technically dead, but his body was still alive. That's always easy to just implant missions in him. And even with Batman going back to Grant Morrison with R.I.P. or even Final Crisis, those like Batman clones that he made, they were just living off of that trauma and muscle memory. So, yeah, Batman won't quit because that's all that's left of Bruce, you know, just going through all that stuff, yeah. You know, one thing that, that occurred to me, bringing up my other passion, uh, Star Trek, and that in, in terms of the desire to have a family, in the movie Generations, which has the transition between Captain Kirk and John Luke Picard, uh, uh, Captain Picard goes through this ribbon, and he winds up in an alternative world in which his deepest desire is realized. He's like in like 19th century England. That's right, on horseback, huh? On horseback with a wife and children that he has never had. That's right. And he just wants to stay there, even though at some point he realizes he can't stay there. Yeah. And so that's just not going to be his life. So with Batman, uh, similarly, I mean, he wants that too, but he can't escape his universe. He's there. He is what he is. And he's never going to uh, find that uh, sweet spot that he wants to have. Yeah. It's always going to be just out of his reach. Yep. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because yeah, that even made me think of Superman's, the, the, the man who has everything, when that... I forget, the Black Mercy when it gets on Superman from Mongol. Oh, yeah. And oh, okay. He goes to living on Krypton, married to that actress and having a child. And then slowly, though, his mind comes back as they peel the monster away. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, you're not my son. This is, and, yes. But it's funny that they all envision that. And I find something interesting because just this got my brain thinking. I think this is one of the first times where we don't see Bruce going backwards. Because Bruce always goes backwards. He goes back to when his parents are alive. Him being a child, that's the era he wants to go to. Not being a man, being the patriarch. He just wants to go back to that childhood that he never had. Speaking of childhood, <laughs> the next story, uh, The Precedent, written by James T. and Forth and uh, artist uh, Alvaro, Alvaro, Alvaro Martinez. Martinez Bueno. Yep. Um, it's called it's called the president. Honestly, I had, I had no idea what to expect from it, and then um, it's all about Robin. It's all about Dick Grayson. Like I loved this story. I, yeah, it was I, really good. I love this is my favorite. The idea of Bruce and Alfred just pondering, like, is this a good idea? Do I bring on a child child sidekick? Like, the kid has been through a lot, but he, I, you know, what do I do? And 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 Bruce brings up a good point. This sets a precedent. 
What happens after he's gone? He grows up and he doesn't want to do this Robin thing anymore. Do I take on another one? Are there going to be more kids that show up at my, my doorstep? Is this going to be something that happens for the rest of my days? And yes, yes, it will. But this even echoes like going back to what Sam just said. That is that. like You knew to always have your vehicle in escape mode. You know, to go for that, and you've just done it for so long that, that yeah, well, you know, I just—that's that's the fun phrasing. But yeah. you always had it that way, and then so Zach picked up on that, and that is—he's your Nightwing. You know, like they learn from those types of things. You pick up on that, and that's why I think it's neat because Rafa and I were talking about this. Like this one was my favorite story. You know, I, I I appreciate the story of Dick Grayson more than I do Bruce Wayne, because unfortunately, Bruce is haunted by trauma. Dick learned from trauma. Now, it helps because, you know, Dick had Alfred the second try, you know, because Alfred was like, okay, well, I'll raise you, and let's make sure you do all these things properly. And maybe that's what helped to make Bruce colder. So then when it comes time to raise Dick, Alfred's kind of like, you know what? This time I'll be a little bit more open, maybe a little bit more (laughs) less strict or something. Maybe I don't steer into the curve of, yes, I will teach you all the ways to kill people and and be a master disguise. Maybe be a master chef. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so he gives them all that stuff because... Dick has, you know, Dick comes from a family of acrobats. So, you know, they've they've been doing life and death for entertainment. Yeah. Bruce Wayne would have just been the son of rich folks. He probably would have know. been a doctor, like yeah. his father. Yeah. yeah. And so I just, I think it was neat. It was a fun one because a lot of times when you deal with trauma, you see that first generation, they really don't let it go. It defines them, but it stays with them. But what's nice, though, is when people do go working in the trauma fields, they can take that expertise and that knowledge and they can help the next generation hopefully escape it. And I think that's what, like, to me, that's something I saw from the store, and I just really loved it. The art was fantastic. Uh, you know, like, it was just, it was way more colorful than the other stories, and I just, I really enjoyed this one the most. Well, I like in the, uh, in, in this one spot here, he, uh, Alfred's telling him, you know how highly I think of you and your abilities, but he could make you better. He could be better. Yeah. A hero forged in the light, and the picture that they've got here is him in his, night. is that Nightwing? Yeah, it's, in his yeah. Nightwing costume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a foreshadowing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's a cool observation. I like that. So yeah, and then I mean, the, then the, the big reveal that Dick has just been up in the rafters listening to this whole conversation the right. whole time, <laughs> and it's not Soaking even it in. <laughs> it's not even Bruce's decision. Yeah. Dick takes it out of his hands. He's like, it doesn't matter if you're yeah. gonna allow me to or not. I'm yeah. here. I'm a part of this. Yeah. I'm going with you. Like that's it's perfect. It's it's. It's the exact uh, it's the answer that should have happened. If it's your yeah, choice answer. to be the Batman, then it's my choice to be your Robin. Exactly, and and that's it's it's the the yin the yang to Batman yeah. that Robin has to be. So yeah, it was it's it's mm. probably the best story out of the out of the book. No, it's in- interesting, and I'm I'm glad you brought up the fact how how Dick Grayson became uh, Robin, how he became uh, Bruce Wayne's ward, because it's very rare that the origin of Dick Grayson is retold. In fact, I haven't heard it retold in like years of reading Batman. Mm-hmm. Whereas oh, it's they, just always like like they'll they'll re they'll rehash Batman but not yeah. Oh yeah, we have been going back to the Wayne killings all the time. Yeah. They were yeah. all the time. But the but the uh, death of his acrobatic parents I mean I gotta go back to my nineteen sixties comics to pick that up. I don't know if it's. I don't know how often that comes up because I, I don't. I don't read every Batman, yeah. but if, but you might you might know that. But I don't. I don't see that. Well, no, but you bring up a good point because I was just thinking like as you were thinking that it got my mind churning, and it's funny because we have Batman Year One, and Batman Year One does show it. 
if I remember correctly, I think that, no, sorry, it was The Dark Knight Returns. It was the first time we see the pearls. But you do see the death of the Waynes happen. You decide, hey, you know, there's a book called Robin Year One, and it's great. Highly recommend it. Go pick it up, read it, enjoy it. Um, but it doesn't talk about that. It just is the first year of him being Dick Grayson, the war to Bruce Wayne, and then being Robin. But it doesn't reference his parents' death and items like that. Yeah, and there's no sense of trauma for him yeah. that I have ever seen. Yeah, no, he's... Like, uh, he's never afraid of heights. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'd be afraid yeah. of heights. <laughs> it's a natural fear, plus you watched your parents plunge to their death. Yeah. But he's still out there doing it. I mean, he loves the acrobatics. I mean, even in this story, he's, he's hanging upside down from the chandelier, snooping in on them, and it's like, oh. Yeah, I'm yeah. used to this. Yep, he I also like that he, he throws in that the, the chandelier surprisingly holds a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that is they true. made it last. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love just one more shout-out for this story. The last page, I love that. that you know, I always thought that was a cool moment, and it's one of the cheesiest ones, but I like the fact that when Batman revealed this world to dick grayson and he said if you want to be a part of this he made him do that and like swear i you know I, i'm sure the books changed but i think he, like he swore on a bible in front of that candle and i just thought that was so neat because that gives me more like the dark night like that gives me that aspect that loyalty oath and whatnot so i always thought that's cool so i love how that's at the base of the picture and then the light shines out to batman and robin and you know batman perfectly blends into the shadows robin is right there in the light i just love that like i hope they make that a poster <laughs> Uh, okay, and the next story is uh, Batman's Greatest Case, which is written by Tom King, uh, art by Tony S. Daniel and Joel Joel Joel, I think, yeah. Yeah, Joel Jones. Um, I don't know how I felt about this story at first. I love the way that Tom, Tom King writes all these characters and how their, their dialogue is constantly talking over each other. Yes. <laughs> I, had, I had to read it twice in order to... Um, to really get a sense of who was talking in that first part. That was a hard part. But when I read it the second time, and, you know, with the clues of, hello, Richard, hey, Damien, like, it made me think, oh, why would he write it in a way where it would be a lot of them talking? So I read it, it was just Damien right. and Nightwing. And that made it so much funnier. And what I love about Tom King as a writer is the fact that he's always using humor to convey something, right? Yes. With the background of Bruce going actually to the cemetery and mm -hmm. doing something like, oh, what's going on? Oh, you're the 12th most detective out of all of us. <laughs> uh, out of all of us. And it's all of those aspects that made it a lot of fun. So I, I see what you're saying. And then I love, I love the, the, you brought it up, the gravesite. Like, you, you see him going to the gravesite, you think the reason he's calling the whole family together is, like, he's got to restate the mission. Like, this is why we do this. You know, he's going to go harder, and he's going to be more Batman. But in the end, he throws, he puts the, the batarang uh -huh. into the, the side of the chimney, and Damien's the first one. He's like, oh, I remember. He's used that one with me before. I think it's Damien. And it, and he knows what's going on, and then they take they snap the picture. It's yeah. a it's a photograph. It's a camera battering for whatever reason you need that for. Well, of course, <laughs> Peter Parker. <laughs> there used to be camera batarangs before we had camera phones. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I I love that Ace has like written dialogue in this. He's barking, and you know, and I, and I, I love the player that you know Dick Grayson's like really. I'm the eleventh best detective. Well, at least I'm above Ace. Oh, we're counting Ace, then you're the 12th. <laughs> like, it's funny. This one to me, this should have been the Bendis story. 
Because yeah. Bendis okay, loves yeah. talking yeah. heads yeah. and dialogue and all that fun stuff. And it was cool to see that, oh, this is actually Tom King, you know. And this one was fun. This was a great intro to the whole to the whole family. Uh, Tony Daniel art is great. Jonelle just adds to it. So I thought this was such a fun one. And again, this is kind of funny because it's, and again, looking at the placement, I like that this came after Jeff Johns' story where he's wishing for family because this is the story that finally helps me to recognize that he Batman recognizes family. he has family. You know, that he goes out there and he puts that vital picture because you know, can you imagine, like, I hope somebody does a reference where they're like, yeah, I just happened to the groundskeeper. You yeah. know, he's like, I was cleaning up the graves and I found this picture of all the bat characters. And for some reason, Alfred Pennyworth is there. <laughs> <laughs> it was in front of the Thomas and Martha Wayne graves. Yeah, huh, I think I figured that's something very, out. That's very actually, interesting. Actually, question. I always thought the Wayne graves were on the Wayne property, not on uh, some graveyard. It's, like, it, it, <laughs> it depends. Yeah, it depends on who who does the writing and whatnot. Um, because yeah, I agree with you. Well, I've that's always, just how much money Bruce has. <laughs> well, that's He'll how many, switch them. That's how many Waynes have died in in, in Gotham <laughs> County. They're all buried on their personal pro- property. Uh, but let's look, can we talk about the people that are in this picture before oh, we get into yeah. before we get into that? Because I know that's going to take a second. Um, I just wanted to say one thing that I do really appreciate is the voices of the majority of the characters. I love how Jason. You can automatically tell like he's kicking me out, isn't he? <laughs> he's kicking me out of the family, isn't he? I love that Dick is proud of his time as Batman. Yeah, like, I yeah. mean, I was Batman for a while. And Babs <laughs> busses him about it every time. He's like, he I had to always date brings it up. Always brings it up. I dated that. I survived <laughs> that. I survived that. I like how Tim and Stephanie are still going strong. Yep. Because she's like, oh, you want to make out? Which I thought was very was He's very like, fun. Is it is yeah. it appropriate to do right now? Because I want to, but I don't know. <laughs> I like Huntress and Cassandra uh-huh. kind of getting along with like you don't talk that much. Like no, like I like you. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're good over here. And when did Huntress come back into? He, she hasn't. Okay, and that's that's one of the problems no, I has. have. Has she? Yeah, um, she was part of Spiral. Yeah, she 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 got reintroduced. So in New Fifty Two, she was obliterated because okay. So the history of Huntress, yeah, first in the Golden Silver Ages of Comics, Huntress was the daughter of Batman yeah. and Catwoman from Earth 2. Right. So I understand why she's in the picture. Yeah, and so so that character got wiped away with Crisis on Infinite Earths because we didn't want to have Batman as a father. So they created Helena Bartnelli. And that's what I like is that this is the Helena Bartnelli Huntress. So she was great. She was going all the way from you know post-Crisis to Flashpoint, then she vanished. Uh, we did see Huntress again in the New 52, which was the daughter of Bruce Wayne. So we got Helena back during the Spiral days, during yep. uh, the Grayson comic. Right. I'm glad that she carried over. And then, she was very much a big part of, of Nightwing's comic, and I, I think that's where she actually finally regained the Huntress persona. Yeah, because she was his training officer in Spiral, yeah. but then when he left, she came with him, and he trained like, oh, her to be, a superhero, to be a superhero. Or vigilante, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah cool. So she's right. definitely been in the post-rebirth world. Um her full-on interaction with the Bat family per se. I think she had a little bit in Detective, like just a, a quick pop in yeah, or whatnot. It. But yeah, but I mean, she at least was back in the, the Rebirth world. Yeah, it's more through Nightwing than anything in the Rebirth world. Okay, that makes so. sense. I like Signal, just for the simple fact that he's like the most hopeful. He's like, oh, you're talking, like when, when Dick is making the comment about how like he died. Yeah. And I was like, you're, you're saying like you're the only one who's ever died. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes, I've, I haven't died, like... Just wait. Yeah. Give it some time. The only the dog has died. Yeah. The only voice that I feel didn't really match was Barbara's. 
Mostly because, like, she's kind of talking back and forth with Batwoman, saying, like, well, I'm also a woman. I did this. Why, why are I, you? Why am I Batgirl? When isn't she the one who chose Batgirl as her persona? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only qualm I had. Everything else, I enjoyed. <laughs> so, that, and that's where I get is the, the right side of this picture. You have Signal, Huntress, um, Orphan. And you can bring in Spoiler. I mean, Spoiler was a big part of Detective Comics during the rebirth, so I, I get that. But, like, we don't have... We don't have Azrael, and that, that's my own personal preference, but we don't have Luke Fox, and we don't have Leslie Tompkins. Like, Leslie Tompkins should be there if you're going to inc- incorporate Alfred. Well, when you None. yell out Batman's secret identity, <laughs> and you challenge his mission on yeah. Crime Alley on the anniversary, yeah, it, you don't uh, get invited to picture day. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Thanks a lot, Denny O'Neill. Do you guys like, right. I, I like the inclusion of Stephanie. Do you like her as spoiler, or do you think it'd be more becoming if she was other, like Batgirl 2? Or if she was like female Robin. I thought she hated Batman and all Yeah, she does and doesn't. And <laughs> it's often uh, her, her love, her love for her love for Tim trumps her it's hatred of, of Bruce. You're, you're absolutely right. I love I love her as spoiler. I love that character. Adam, I wouldn't trust her. <laughs> as the daughter of Clue Master, like it makes so much sense. Like. I, I mean, when she became Robin, I thought that was awesome. I thought that was a great addition to her character. And then she eventually becomes Batgirl. It's like, all right. I mean, you have your own legacy, but going on to the Batgirl one is cool. Yeah. So, so but then, or like Orphan, who's also a Batgirl at uh-huh. pre-Flashpoint. Uh, uh, I love that she's there and included, but her character in the Rebirth world is not the same. Yeah, it's cool. not the same as the Cassandra came Batgirl. Yeah. And then you have Signal. Like I don't know much about Signal. I know he got introduced in New Fifty Two. Yeah. He got his his parents were killed by Joker's gas, I believe. I believe so. They were turned crazy. I don't yeah. Think they were killed, oh, okay, they're just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> just crazy. <laughs> just crazy. <laughs> well, but the, I, I do like that Tim is in the the Robin outfit, not Red Robin. At least I don't see the second. Yeah, it's there. hard to look for that extra R. <laughs> the only one on that side, and you know, it's in speaking to something of that because it's interesting. Like if you look at that spread of the whole family. It's funny because, yeah, you do have a Batwoman and a Batgirl, and clearly those are different names. Right. But I do find it funny that you have, what, four Robins, but technically you have two of them on there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's neat because Batgirl also has her legacy as well. You have Batgirl 1, 2, and 3. Yep. And I find that interesting, and it's like that really speaks a lot of volumes to the way the Bat family is. Like, I do like that they may start as something. They may be inducted as one character, but they eventually became their own entity. So I think that's really cool because going back to Like, I agree. I like her as spoiler just because that's hers. Mm-hmm. I think it's neat that it ties into her father. You know, it's like, well, if you're the clue master, then I'm just going to come along and spoil it. You know, I think that's cool. Do we, we want to talk about the grouping also? Um, you have Batwoman and Red Hood group to the side there i mean those are the two outcasts of the family if you really think about it well it is funny like as you as you i I see it yeah as you get further away because if you look at the pictures as a whole so on the far left you have batwoman red hood on the far right you have helena huntress and echo right and it's like they're really not not echo i think she's orphan orphan there you go sorry orphan and you have them there they're they're kind of on the, the the you know the outer skirts of things. Right. Directly to Batman, you have Catwoman on the right and Nightwing on the left. I don't agree with Catwoman's placement. Okay. And it's funny because this is from Tom King, and you know we all met to talk about the wedding, and you know what's going to happen. Like, was she doing something because of Bane? Did she make her own choice? 
you know, we won't know till like what Batman 105 or something. Yeah, something like that. Like that. <laughs> yes. But I just I find it funny that she's there, and you know, she is on Batman's side. You know, I agree. I, I, just put, find that funny. I put Alfred there. Yeah, I kind of I think I would have brought him forward, but I do like that the immediate would be Alfred and Robin as well, or Damian Robin. Uh, then you have. Dick and uh, Tim and Barbara complimenting each other because they are the technology people. Like you know. Oh, but see, I, I like Barbara and and Dick being together because they're the the two originals. Oh no, I like that they're they're there like that. But I'm like they're the the second person away from Bruce. Oh, like okay. the second to his left. The I get what you're saying. Right. So they put okay. like a nice balance to that because it'd be interesting to look at this. Like I don't know if anybody knows chess that well. But does this relate to, to chess pieces and somehow? I Ooh. Uh, I don't know. If he, but it, there is a nice <laughs> symmetry in there, which Damien should be. It should be Nesley Tompkins right there where yeah. Damien's at. Because it should be the two parent figures right behind Bruce. You know, I agree. I think there should be Luke Fox. He's done enough where I think he would. He's basically the Iron Man version of Batman. Yeah. Um, so I feel. But I, I don't know. Maybe it could be like he's too similar to Signal. Because there was a time where I thought they were the same character for a second, <laughs> unfortunately. No, I, I get what you're saying. And so, I mean, there's that. Um, I never really thought of Azrael. He took over for <laughs> Batman. And that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like thinking about it. How dare you leave him out? <laughs> maybe like if he's all the way in the back <laughs> with his flame sword, then yes. Look. The dog is there. Behind True. The, if we're going to include Ace. Right? In the back behind the dog is wide-eyed. Yeah, he is very wide-eyed. He's happy to be here. If we're going to include Huntress, I think we should include Azrael. Thank you. Yes. Oh, but then I here's another that. question. Would you put Clayface there? That that's such isn't a new. He, isn't he dead though? He's not I, dead I, though. No, no, I don't think, he's he's, I think they dead. play that where <laughs> but he died, but a little he, chunk of him remains. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, he is very, very new. And, and that's new. The, being a yeah. hero is new to, for him. I think I would understand him, Batman, not including him in the family picture. Right. Oh, I mean, I, I could see it. I, I, I just want to toss it out there for. Oh, that makes me sad though. <laughs> just the idea of like, okay, we're all gonna take a picture, Clayface. You you can't come. It's like, <laughs> okay. Or he'll be the one actually taking the picture. Just yeah, I need a little help here, since I'm a little out of date. But on the right side, mm -hmm. the right curve, mm -hmm. from the golden girl here to the looks like a reaper, <laughs> and, the, and the two women on the on the side. Who are they? Okay, so the golden one is is uh, is Signal. Um, I oh, forget what his Duke name. Duke Thomas. Duke Thomas. He's so his parents were. Went crazy through Joker gas, and Bruce Wayne took him in. Batman took him no, in. Oh, it's a him. Okay. So yeah. it's like his new. He's he's usually left to stay at the cave and do a lot of the stuff that Alfred used to do. Yeah. And then he's also become the signal, so he's the person that can go out wearing the bat signal during the day to represent the Bat family. What yes. era is he a part of? He's he's definitely the the New Fifty Two era. Okay. Like I want to okay. say, like he was introduced yeah, like I'm somewhere in the issue twenties. Yeah. Okay. yeah, he's very new. Very, very new. Yeah, okay. yeah, he's very okay. New. So yeah. the Reaper character—that spoiler that we were talking about—she's okay. the daughter of the Clue Master. Okay. Uh, That's the hooded one. Yeah, the, the purple hood. Well, yeah. the black. Gotcha. Yeah, the, the, you can't see the face. Uh, did you see, did you ask about Orphan, the the uh, Asian looking girl with the yes. the shoulder pads? That's Orphan. Yeah, that's and she used that's Cassandra Kane. She used to be uh, Batgirl before Flashpoint. Um, she's the daughter of. Kane, David Kane, David Kane, I think, yeah, yeah, David Kane and Lady Shiva. So she's she's born from Master the assassin, yeah, you know. born from the League arguably of assassins. the best fighter in this picture. Yeah, yeah, cool. Because Kane raised her 
to learn body language before it's spoken language. So she can inter- she can predict movements before anybody else can. Oh. She's usually a mute too. Usually, right? yeah. Because she was the background had that pure black costume with the with the no exposed face kind of like okay. first appearance. Cow. I think No Man's Land. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, those, that's those characters. Was there? Did you Huntress at the top? You know that one. I know of Huntress, but she didn't. She doesn't look like the Huntress I've seen before. Right. Well, when she uh, emerged. Yeah. No. She she definitely had a different costume. They kind of gave her this one, kind of tying more into her Catholic ties kind of giving her that religious aspect to it so like with the hood that way and the oh the the, the cross pattern kind of having that monk monk uh, look yeah. to it yeah oh, okay so yeah so she that's definitely like a newer costume she, like she would make her nemesis okay. pray for a swift death <laughs> well, well that helps bring me to bring me into this picture good another uh, omission but it makes sense why he's not in here would be gordon yeah. Because Gordon's Cause a big can't. part. Especially with Alfred there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Alfred. <laughs> I mean, you could have had him if if you just if he like called him and said, Hey, could you turn the signal on? Like just for this one point and point it in this area. There was a signal in the background like that. And that's Gordon, Gordon. That's yeah. That's where he's repped. That's where he's repped. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only thing I could yeah. say. Um Okay, so then I think we only have one story left, right? Is it the medieval story? Yes. Which I am so hyped for. Okay, so explain to me. This story is written by... Um, Peter, Peter Tomasi. Tomasi. Peter Tomasi and drawn by... Doug Man- Mankey? Doug Monkey? Mankey, Man- I think. Mankey? Yeah. Well, first of all, Doug Mankey, one of the most unsung greatest artists of all time. <laughs> I love his art. Fan. I love it. I I've love everything that he does. Um I love how this whole thing is building off of this idea of how Batman is the plague. Batman is this guy who allows these murderers to show up. And if it wasn't for him, their Gotham would be a much better place. Ultimately showcasing to the final page, which at first I was like, oh my God, they brought back Bunny Suit, Mecha Batman, that Jim <laughs> Gordon yeah, the Jim was Gordon in. Bats, yeah. But then when I kept reading, he's the Arkham Knight. Yeah. And... One, it's not going to be Jason Todd. No. So I have no idea who it's going to be, but I am so excited because this redesign looks very clean, really sick. And this is – I don't think this is going to be one of those amazing stories. Even just like looking at medieval, medieval, right? Yeah. That just makes me think of metals. That (laughs) makes me think of that era. So I think we're going to get something like straight balls to the walls, fight. I wonder who's – who is this Arkham Knight? And is he inevitably, because the design is too cool, is he inevitably going to be part of the Bat family? I mean, you're, you're probably not wrong. He, Batman will probably in- incorporate him. I, I, one of the problems I had with it is the whole reasoning that the crazy person has. is like, if you say Batman fast enough... It's true. And he comes off as crazy. Like, Batman, he's something like that's supposed man. to be. Yeah. <laughs> he's the bat. Almost like a religious fervor. Almost. Yeah, you're right, yeah. So, um, and maybe maybe it's the return, even though he's, he didn't die. But uh, this is where we have Azrael. He's back. But now, instead of being Azrael, he's the Orkham Knight. No, it could, that's a possibility. You're, you're not in the you're, picture. You go crazy. You <laughs> either. Yeah. Yeah. The, the family, like, Invite, so I was like, <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> bad so, man, bad man. <laughs> my, my favorite part of that story that isn't huge, but it does so much. So, Mr. Freeze, when he was introduced, was just kind of a you know, hey, this is a cute idea for a bad guy. And luckily, through Batman the Animated Series, when they gave him the newer origin with Nora, 
And then it kind of, you know, it's been like, this is how Mr. Freeze will be perceived. And it's great. And then unfortunately, when New 52 happened, they're like, no, let's do something different. So it turns out Nora existed like in the 20s. So she was a big famous person. And then she got Walt Disney. And and then so it just so happened that Victor Fries was like, I love this woman. And I'm fascinated by her. And that's why he became Mr. Freeze. And I was like, that was so... Like, they took him from being an endearing guy to just being a stalker. And I love that in that one panel with Mr. Freeze, you see Nora in the background. And it's like, I'm hoping that it kind of restores that neoclassic origin, not that new one that we got. Because I was so devastated when I read that. I think it was an annual. And I was like, oh, my God, that's garbage. Like, you just really destroyed the character. And so I'm hoping that we're kind of back to, like, you know, the less creepier Mr. Freeze. (laughs) Has anybody checked out the one with uh, where he's holding the Joker and he has like a knife in his shoulder? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> it's like it's, uh, talking about like Not um, even phased. when you're like uh, when he like you know he has like uh, actual actual body armor or anything like that. You know, it's just like <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. I like the shirtless picture of him fighting Raish yeah. and Tali at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Well, I just thought this one was so much fun. Like it's just like hey, just draw like. Eight pinups, and then I'll put some words in there. Go crazy. And then this pal, is he fighting the Wraith? Is that who that is? I don't know who that I is. I have no clue. Oh, yeah. I, I was trying to figure that out as well. Yeah, I don't know who that is. is so I almost feel like maybe yeah, it's one of the moths, but then it looks like he's throwing him to like the Lazarus pit. Yeah. Like, what? So one of the things that I had a problem with is that in the after Rebirth, and it might have been also in New 52, but I'm not... I don't think it, it was. I think after Rebirth, in the Detective Comics, you had uh, the introduction of the first victims, or the victim syndicator. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something like, oh, yeah. So then you had the one the, the big mastermind as the first victim. I figured, we since this is a Detective Comics, we would have a story with them. Like, that's a, I think that's a super interesting character that they have not revealed who, who it is yet. But um, they had, he's not mentioned, or he's not even drawn in, or there's not a story about him at all. So... I was upset about that, but I mean, I'm I'm happy with the book overall. Yeah, overall, like it was funny. I, I kind of comparing this to Action Comics mm-hmm. 1000. I think Action Comics 1000 had better covers. Mm-hmm. I think they really they brought out some great stuff there. But I think Detective Comics 1000 has better stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I can overall, go with that, yeah. I, I felt these were a lot more related to Batman. Definitely the first one. The shout out to the detectives of the DC universe. But I, I definitely I found myself enjoying this a lot more. Yeah, and it's multifaceted in the fact that there's so much is going on. You know, we have some stories that delve into that that detef- detective aspect. We have the stories dealing with his preparedness, the fact that he does have you know the younger generation that uplift him as much more as him just helping them be better. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it brings in the case of you know what happens when he has the last bad guy to to stop. And I think it, it's one of hope. It's one of everything that makes Batman Batman. And that's what I enjoyed the most of it. It's I felt like it gave me my full. I enjoyed the majority of the stories. Maybe there were two or three that just didn't hit with me. But maybe like years from now, I'll read them again and go like, oh, that's what they were going for. Except for the, the one with, uh, with Leslie. That's, I don't think I'll ever like that one. <laughs> Plus, yeah. <laughs> Well, I can see when we were talking about the the armor and the uniform. He, the bad costume is ripped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This. I mean, it's just an ordinary costume, but he don't care. He's going to just oh, keep yeah. fighting his way through. Yeah. He, he fights through pain. He fights through adversity. 
That's what Batman does. He does not let anything stop him until the job is done. That's right. Yeah, well said. Because exactly that's that's the thing I like. I like like it's a, an easy one was like when they put Spider Man in the armor, mm-hmm. and I was like, really. You know, like, now you're taking away that element that, you know, we've seen Spider-Man fight with a broken arm. You know, he just webs it to his body and he goes out there. And that's the same thing we see with Batman. We see a knife sticking out of him, but he knows, dude, this is the Joker. It's not about me. It's about Gotham. It's about everybody who's alive. And I like that. I like that part of Batman. I want to see that that human part because when we got to listen to people be like, no, he could clearly beat Superman. It's like, you're full of shit. You know, <laughs> so then I at least want him to be that guy who's going to have the ripped costume and that look to him. And just the power of storytelling, the fact that all of us here today from different walks of life can come together and experience 1,000 issues of this amazing character and the stories that he's given us and how they are retold in different ways with new costumes and new villains in different ways with different things. But we still come back and we watch it and we're here today. And I think, you know, if anything else, that's something truly magical that that adds to that element of just being a comic book reader, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's cool. Like, it's so exciting to finally, like, we, we, we get to see it. We get to see thousand issue comic books, you know? And how exciting is it that, like, I always remember this one. This one hit me profoundly. I think you, Sam, you brought the Death of Superman trade, right? Yeah. So the Death of Superman trade paperback was brought in, and, and I always recognize that trade because that was one of, like, the first major storylines I got into. I remember I bought my copy at Walmart, you know, like, because it was sold out everywhere. And they had it, and, you know, I got one as a kid back in 1993, 94. And it came with a reprint of Action Comics number one. It was just reprinted on garbage paper. It was just so ridiculous. But it was so neat to see, like, here's the guy's first appearance, and then here's his death. And we didn't know at the time. You know, the Internet was not a thing, and you didn't know what you were going to expect. And I always remember, I think it was from that Stan Lee's Mutants, Monsters, and Marvels DVD. And it had Kevin Smith talking to Stan Lee. And Kevin Smith was like, oh, it's so sad because kids will never get to read these adventures. They'll never meet Superman again for the first time. And it's like, no, you always meet Superman for the first time twice. You meet him when you meet him. And then you get to read about when the world met him as well. And I always love that. I think that's so neat. And that was so great to watch that. And it's so neat that we've lived in eras like thanks to the New 52. We've all bought Detective Comics number one. You know, you went to your local comic store and you bought Detective Comics number one. You bought Detective Comics number 27, you know. Now we've also managed to buy Detective Comics 1000. It's so neat to have those milestone comics. I mean, yeah, they're not the, the, the one that would have sent us to the moon and back. I mean, you know, in that case, we'd all be, you know, it'd be something else. But, I mean, it's just so neat, yeah, that those anniversary issues. Because I don't know about you guys, but I always get excited when a 25th issue comes around. You know, it means a lot. It means a world, you know, because you're, there is no promise that a book will last. You know, when they make 12, it's like that's a year. That's huge. Yeah. You know, so this is so cool to the staying power that this is a thousand issues. All right. So with that, uh, the whole book, what, what is uh, any any last thoughts anybody has would like to say other than the, the three of us that have already kind of said our, our thing, our, our part, our piece? Uh, Sam, I learned a lot today. You know, I, I I learned that like like Rafa said, you know, it's it's um, it, Batman speaks to pretty much every walk of life. You know, everybody from ev- from anywhere can pick up a Batman comic and and see themselves in it. You know, it, it it may not be the very first issue, but you know, if they keep reading it, you know, they're 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 gonna see. Oh my gosh, man, this this was me, or this was my you know somebody else in my family, or whatever. It's I, I love the relatability. Of Batman to pretty much everyone, 
you know, that's that's my big takeaway from from this discussion that we've had today. Juan, as for me, I actually um, from uh, you guys actually learned a lot more about. Uh, well, it's some more interesting on the history of uh, Batman with uh, Bill Finger. I did not know that. So yeah, I'm very much happy with. And plus, I got a more perspective on these uh, stories than like I just got from myself. So yeah, I had a real like interesting, you know, like. Um, of this uh, conversation went so yeah and, and Mike I, you, I know you shared a little bit already but uh, anything else would you like to say well, I would just echo what everyone else has said I've learned a few things uh, Bill Finger never heard of uh, some of the characters um, becoming refreshed with that uh, I'd only had like a passing acquaintance with and it really just the personification of Batman how we uh, take him and understand him and it's more than more than a quote unquote comic character he is great literature that's what he is mm-hmm. very good thank you and i want to say thank you again for you guys joining us and thank you to diane for allowing us to to do this here at FanQuest uh once again and uh providing a, a venue for us to do the, do such a thing so yeah, we all found batman and thanks to batman we found our way here <laughs> yeah very true <laughs> This is where the real Batcave is right here. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Lots of origin stories. Uh, okay, so this is the the issue. I don't remember what. Oh wait, it's one twenty six. Yeah, one twenty six of Imaginif talking about Detective Comics one thousand. Uh, just want to say if everybody can uh, sign out with us right after, after I say always remember to, that'd be great. Just say geek out. Okay. Okay. Uh, so this is Imaginif on the Geekly Media Network saying always remember to. Geek out! We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. Hi, this is Steven from Geek Elite Media, and I want to tell you about Cuts by Candace, a hairstylist that'll work with you to get just the right look. After growing my hair out for years and years, Candace was the only stylist I trusted to cut my luscious locks. Mention our promo code GEEKOUT when making your appointment through the end of April 2019, and you'll get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candace on Facebook and Cuts by Candace 3 on Instagram, and start looking the best you, you can.